Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Now, here are your hosts, Jeff Sharon and Eric Lopez. Welcome to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Happy Thanksgiving Night Nation. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez with you here. We got a busy show for you, but not too busy because it's the holidays. You know, I'm sure you're probably going to be listening. We're putting it out early because... We know you're going to be out traveling on Wednesday for the holiday. You want something to listen to while the turkey's in the oven, and we got your back. Getting ready for Black Friday. Uh, we'll talk about basketball's hot start, too. We got a special early Christmas present for you, Eric Lopez. We got McKenna Melville. On That's right. We're, we shall all be thankful for having McKenna Melville in, our, oh in UCF God. Volleyball. Am I, am I thankful? Am, and the old, as the old story goes behind her, right? I am so thankful that she grew six inches in high school and became an outside hitter because my God, the best, best volleyball player in school history for my money. So, so glad it's right up her. there. Certainly up there. We're going to talk to her, talk about fresh off their fourth straight conference championship. She'll give us the details on that as well as obviously what to expect here for postseason. Yep. And uh, Bryce and Turner will join us later to talk. Uh, about uh, women's basketball, men's basketball, and volleyball as well. But uh, we start out with football, and uh, this is it. This is it, the regular season finale, the war on I-4. Could it be the penultimate war on I-4? That's what I'm could calling it. it. The, could it be the last one in in the bounce house? We don't know. This 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 could be it. Uh, uh, stat boy Drew Andrew Glukov uh, joining us. I ooh, screwed up your name. Ooh, wow, ooh, oh, wow, man, my pride just took it. No, oh, don't ooh. feel but I've heard some weird ways of I butchering my name. I think, wow. I, I think Jeff, I think Jeff did that on purpose, Drew, because you two are not on the same page when it comes to the UCF jerseys. You guys will okay, get into okay. later. Well, well, wait a second, let's not spoil <laughs> the first segment here right off the bat. All right, all right. um. I want to talk right now about what we what we saw uh, from this past weekend as uh, as you know, UCF got another uh, blowout victory over UConn. Um, hopefully put, you know, uh, and and I guess it, it is now tradition that the winning team of the civil conflict leaves the trophy out on the field. I think that's now the new. Tradition. Well, UConn hasn't won a game. So, I mean, since <laughs> so I, I guess they never will. So, the most intriguing matchup that wasn't intriguing at all. Right. Well, UCF right now, seven and four, four and three in the conference, chance to get to five and three, chance to get to eight wins on the season, chance to go to seven, seven and oh at home. Uh, after that 49, 17 win over UConn, obviously a not obviously a non-conference game now, but uh, we've done, we've seen what we had to do. Right? UCF did what they had to do, right? It was, uh, it was, uh, 
workmanlike. Uh, Twenty-eight nothing right off the bat. Um, you know, we saw. I, I thought we saw some pretty uh, some pretty good things. I thought from the defense. Uh, Steven Krajewski threw three interceptions for UConn on the other side. Mikey Keene, 23, 29, 208 yards, two touchdowns. He was sacked once remarkably efficient career day for Johnny Richardson, 147 yards on 14 carries. Uh, Parker Navarro got some action, scored a touchdown. Uh, Keene scored on a 30, uh, on a, a 30 yard run, which is an amazing run reminiscent of the uh, Dylan Gabriel run in the Boise state game, I thought, you know, kind of how he kind of cut back and cut toward that right pylon. Um, and then uh, Brandon Johnson, great game for Brandon, seven carries, 125 yards and a touchdown. The highlight was that touchdown catch that he received from Ryan O'Keefe, 49 yarder uh, in the second quarter. Um, you know, UCF just kind of toyed with UConn from that point on. Uh, so, so I, we were thinking, all right, you know, th- we got to see something. We got to see this in preparation for the war on I four. Did we see Drew what we expected to see? Well, I mean, this was, you know, this was a case of, of UCF once again showing opportunism. You know, they did it against SMU, and that's what got them ahead early was taking advantage of mistakes. UCF had short field on two occasions, the first two drives. They scored on both of those drives. Uh, then they got the ball the third time, just outside of midfield, scored again. And then uh, actually the best drive in the game, in my opinion, was the fourth touchdown that UCF scored was a 98-yard drive. I yeah. think that was the best one because that's the one that they've actually struggled the most with is sustained drives. And they were able to do it. Now, granted, UConn's it's not against team. UConn. <laughs> it's against UConn. But, but, you know, I don't want to go down the Eric Lopez – you know, lane and call it's a scrimmage. But no, here, here actually, that's probably an insult to scrimmages, to be honest. But anyway. <laughs> yeah, you see, there you go. Okay. I knew I was going to get that out of them. But here's the thing: it, it gave an opportunity to to try some things, have a little fun. You know, playing at home gives you a lot of freedom because you've got the crowd behind you, you've got this atmosphere. Uh, Rhino keeps two for two with two touchdowns. I think he needs to throw the ball more. Oh, stop it, just, it. it just works. Uh, they, he was actually going to, they tried it again. He, he didn't see anything and he wisely pulled it down. Now, granted he fumbled later, but that was after he gained 13 yards. I don't blame the passing part on that, uh, but you know, Richard, uh, Johnny Richardson had a career game, you know, was able to, to flash stuff that he, he hadn't been able to. And, and coach Malzahn said, that it was they they saw outside lanes were open and available so they started using johnny a lot more and he was able to get those outside runs that's what he's good at and we saw mark anthony richards 10 carries only 31 yards but you know he's the guy that's really more of the between the tackles runner maybe a little bit off tackle johnny's the outside guy so you know you go with what the matchup tells you but you know what your players can and can't do. Uh, Johnny's not going to carry two or three guys. He's just not built for that. You know, Mark Anthony, he can take a hit and, and carry a guy, but they didn't need him. Uh, you know, I also want to add that uh, Johnny did score a touchdown. Uh, I don't know if that was meant. I didn't catch that. I did not before. mention that. No. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he did. He did have a rushing touchdown. And uh, on the receiving side, you know, we, you know, 
Brandon Johnson, that great touchdown. He's he's the guy who's developed the best rapport with Mikey Keene. And I think that's one reason why we don't see Jalen Robinson as much on the field. Aside from the fact that, you know, if you don't need him, don't overuse him. But but between Ryan and Brandon, uh, they're the two that have developed the best chemistry with Mikey Keene since they've been mm-hmm. on the field. And it's hard to turn away from that because it's working. So you've seen, you know, in two wide receiver sets, it's Ryan and Brandon. And then Jalen is the third guy. And then you, you, we've seen Amari Johnson you know, out there. We've seen, uh, uh, you know, the tight ends, Jake Hescock. Uh, they, they actually had a, a throw. Uh, we didn't see anything thrown to, to Alec Collar this time. Didn't need to. Uh, the, the UCF was really never tested at any point. Um, but again, UCF's offense focuses on the run setting up the pass. And that's what happened here. You know, Johnny Richardson is gashing the defense. It's forcing them to respect the run, which hasn't happened much this year when Isaiah Bowser has been out. And that's allowed Mikey Keene to be able to, to, you know, do a lot more. And he was efficient, really efficient, 23 or 29. That's an efficient day. And granted, yeah, a lot of that stuff was smaller underneath, a lot of five-yard gains. But you know what? I'll take a five-yard gain every single play. Because that yeah. guarantees I'm getting a first down and moving the ball. So I mean, yeah, it were were they big plays? No, but they don't have to be. Yeah, and, this, and isn't I, the, this isn't the air raid. <laughs> it's not the air raid. This is a way different side, and it's about balance. Two eighty uh, rushing. Although they yards. still put up the same amount of points that you would expect from the air raid, forty nine. Well, and part of that was taking advantage of the short field and you know doing what you need to do. But two hundred eighty yards rushing. 257 yards passing that's balance and that's yeah. something that Gus Malzahn is looking for uh, especially with the dynamic that the team is right now uh, where you have a very young quarterback you don't want to put too much on him and you have uh, a stable of running backs that that each bring something different to the table but can do stuff they, they're they're talented it's not it's not like you're at the bottom of the bench and you're dealing with with guys who really aren't ready to be out there you know UCF has Just- has that oh, luxury. Ahead. They don't have to worry about that. Just a note on uh, Brandon Johnson. He's got 10 touchdowns on the year, one more, and he's in the top 10 uh, single season all time at UCF. The record holder is Brett Cooper, who had 14 back in 1992. Now, if I'm so, Orlando yeah. Predator legend, Brett Cooper. That's right, Brett Cooper. If I'm yes, correct, so. uh, guys, uh, Brandon Johnson only had one touchdown at Tennessee, one total. Right. And he's got 10 now. Obviously, uh, he's really grown into the role. His leadership has been is widely talked about as something very valuable. Uh, and, and we're seeing his effect on the offense. The game is slowing down for Keene. He's becoming more and more comfortable. Yeah, last week, things kind of went off the rails a little bit. Uh, you're playing against a, a really good SMU team that put everything in one basket and then used up all their mojo and they had none for uh, against Cincinnati. Yeah. Which I, 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 yeah, we saw that they got clobbered by Cincinnati. Holy yeah, I, moly. I, I one, one of the things that's interesting is, you know, it kind of happened to Cincinnati too. You know, they played against UCF. They, they beat them soundly. Mm-hmm. And then they started laying some, some eggs, you know, some, some ugly games afterwards. Uh, maybe it's a maybe it's you know your well, Sonny, you know, maybe Sonny Dykes was just busy negotiating his deal uh, with you know, <laughs> go to TCU allegedly. Uh, perhaps there was a business meeting to be had. Uh, I mean, we, we have seen that before. 
spent a significant portion of the week in Fort Worth. <laughs> yeah, I'm not saying, I'm just saying. However, I do want to highlight a couple of things that still have to be of concern for this team. All right, hit especially me. penalties, seven for eighty. Um, penalties, you know, they were they were they came in some pretty um, pretty rough times. So you know, you got you got to limit that. And then the the second thing is third down conversions, still a problem. Four for eleven, uh, that that's not good. Not against a team like UConn. Uh, they, they need to they need to do better. Uh, and that's been a problem all year. Uh, yeah, they got themselves down. into some bad third and long, third uh, thirds and long, I should say, in in this game. I didn't see exactly how many they had that were six yards or longer, but that but that's not. They don't want that. I I know that there were there were several of them there. They they got behind the sticks, and I think that's what contributed to the bad third down uh, to, to the bad third down percentage. Um, and then you look at like true. Uh, one of the things I look at is true conversion percentage, which is kind of third and fourth downs, um, which you know, UCF was one of one on fourth down. So they, really they were five of 11 nowadays. Five 12. Or, well, well, if you don't convert the third down and you do convert the fourth uh, down. Yeah, it's yeah. Still, okay, I see yeah. what you mean, yes. Yeah, you, you add up your third and the, the third and fourth downs that you convert, and then it's that number for whatever number of third downs you have. I mean, still. So that's your third down commitment. It, True is, it, is it better? Percentage. Yeah. Is it still under 50%? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And a little bit a under like 50%, UConn, but still, yeah. Yeah. Against a yeah. team like Connecticut, you know, that that's not really acceptable. Yeah. Not, uh, not that, great, Bob. No, it's, it's not. <laughs> it's, right. it's not. Well, but in, on the flip side, on the flip side, defense had a solid, did it had a solid game, uh, gave up only 311 yards, uh, nine tackles for loss five sacks. I mean, they had what seven or eight quarterback hurries. Uh, they were a very busy team and, and did an outstanding job just all together. Um, they had eight pass breakups. I mean, they, they did all sorts of stuff. They were everywhere and, and you had contributors all over the field. Again, once again, Tana Bethune is a man possessed 14 total tackles, uh, had a half a sack, uh, a tackle and a half for, for loss. I had very busy guy. But I, I, I got to say the highlight of the game had to be the interception by Cam Good. Yeah, uh, you know, d- defensive lineman Cam Good. Well, let's, listen, let's let's not let, let's not take away from Justin Hodges who made the catch of the day on his interception too. Well, yeah, but I mean, I, there's there's something about a big man with an interception. We saw it. On, I don't know. If Large man Monday, interception. <laughs> uh, Monday night football, we saw it. Uh, you know, the Buccaneers uh, last night against your your New York I, Giants. I, I, I didn't see it. I shut the game off anyway. <laughs> but anyway, all right, listen, we're, we're spending too much time on really what, and I want to apologize to FCS schools out there because I always refer when they play in FCS schools as scrimmage. UConn's far worse than an FCS school. They're a walkthrough. This was a, a glorified walkthrough. So I want to apologize to all scrimmages out there for insulting you for comparing UConn to other scrimmages. <laughs> and, and, and they did, you know, there was a 30 and a half point spread. They did clear it at 32. It was a so a few of us were happy tense, about that. A little tense at the end of the game. We you better believe it. it. You better believe it. <laughs> things, we, things were a little hairy toward the end. I <laughs> uh, weren't sure if that, that spread was going to hold or not. You know, I'm, I'm standing downstairs <laughs> with uh, Trace Troco, and he's like eyeballing that TV really intently. Yeah, UConn was moving that ball. So anyway. Um, all right. So that brings us to the short week in the war on I-4. Uh, UCF and USF are tied all time in the season series. Uh, 6-6. UCF can take the lead for the first time ever. Um, this weekend with a victory. 
USF is coming off of four consecutive losses. They they threw up 35 points each, or, or I shouldn't say that. They threw up 70 combined points against the top two teams in the American back-to-back, Houston and Cincinnati at home. But then the bottom fell out against uh, Tulane uh, last week, 45 to 14. They looked terrible. Um, there's no other way to really to, to really say it. They they went up um, it went up seven nothing, and then Tulane rips off 45 unanswered points, including 28 in the first quarter. Um, it, it, Michael Pratt was wow, uh, 19 to 24, 311 yards, three touchdowns, one pick. Um, Timmy McLean had an average at best day, 15 to 27, 132 in a pick. Uh, Ty J Spears for Tulane had 111 yards and two scores on 13 carries. And USF comes into this game um, listless, uh, having just had their defensive coordinator, just fired their defensive coordinator, Glenn Spencer, um, after that embarrassing performance uh, in New Orleans. And uh, Eric, you have said that, you, and I started to believe you there for a couple of weeks after that Cincinnati Houston game that it looked like South Florida was trying to turn the corner, and then this was a major setback for them. Are you expecting them? What are you expecting from them this this Friday? I expect them to play with the most passion they've played all season long. I actually think the Tulane game was the worst thing that could have happened. Uh, first of all, a lot of people have hang, you know bad bad day hangovers at 11 a.m. in, in Bourbon, near, near Bourbon Street. So speaking <laughs> from experience. Um, yeah, they fired their defense quarter. Their defense has been terrible all year. I don't think that was a surprise. Offensively, yeah, their defense I, is 100 and was 122nd in passing yards allowed, yeah. 115th in rush defense, 125th in FBS in total defense. Right. Uh, but I think USF will come ready to play. If you look at last year, USF was terrible last year, and they played arguably one of their best games of the year last year where they put up over 40 points against UCF, and it was an ugly win uh, for UCF. And look, it's a rivalry game. Things are going to be emotional. They're going to be intense. And I think for UCF, look, this is an important game. This is a don't-lose game. Uh, mm-hmm. You might you can get away with winning ugly in this game because of all the injuries. But I do think this game will help define this season if you win this game you're eight and four you're probably going to go to a good bowl game maybe against the sunshine state program in the florida's yours truly uh as projecting on the arbo projections with mr glukoff and i think people would look at it as a good season you have a great recruiting class coming in there's a lot of positive fi- uh, vibes what your some- way to a nine and four. I, th- I think that with all the injuries you know the, obviously yeah. Dylan gabriel being the big one you know, Isaiah Bowser, all the injuries that they had on defense. You come out of this game eight and four. I, I, th- I think that you could make the argument that UCF overachieved. I think it's Gus is one of Gus's best job if they win this game. However, right. if they somehow lose this game, all that's out the window. Well, all that's the out thing, the window. Here's the thing about South Florida. It's really a tale of two teams. You look at their schedule. There's only one game, and that was against BYU back in September that they kept it within one score on the road. Every other game has been double digits. I think 15 against yeah. East Carolina was the closest deficit. They're a home team. You look at the home records, other than Florida, which they lost by 22, and Florida was still pretty good at the time, the home games have been close. They either won or they were you know, within respectability. I mean, Cincinnati was they, 17, but Cincinnati's yeah, well, they lost. Well, they lost by one to Tulsa. They... they Temple hung around. They beat him by 20. 
Um, they have eight they, against they, Houston, and then yep. Cincinnati was 17, but Cincinnati but they, also, they hung around with Cincy for a while. Yeah, Cincinnati basically has, has opened the door for the CFP committee to really have to think very long and hard about them. Yeah. So in really, yeah, I, I think they're in. Eric thinks they're in. It's really up to them at this point. They just have to win out. Well, just play I'll, like I'll, they I'll did quote, against SMU. I mean, just play I'll, I'll like quote, you did. You drew them. until uh, until they're in, they're not in. Well, yeah. <laughs> well, but, but hey, I was told I have to do projections, so I have to at least put the speculating cap on. You know, I, you know, I, I try not to do that too much, but for bold projections, I have to, and and just things are just falling in Cincinnati's place. Just things are just falling into place. But but not to deviate too much away from from the game Friday. You know, this is a rivalry game. Weird things happen in rivalry games. You yeah, can have did. a winless year, and if you get one win, you want it to be against the rival. That other than that, you'd be like, you know what? I'll take every loss as, as long as I can beat that one. You got team. them, yeah. Not them. And look, Tatum Bethune, I don't like that team. That team, I hate them. He said that <laughs> quote. Uh, he, well said. He wouldn't even name them. Like uh, that. That's right. that's what a rivalry is all about, and and I think, I think UCF fans are gonna are are gonna have a little bit of um, some emotions to go with it that they don't realize once it's gone. You come to the Big Twelve, and there's really nothing out the out the door, like you know uh, you know that you can just open the can and there it is, uh, of a built-in rivalry. Yeah, Cincinnati has been pretty good the last few years on football, not really anything else. Uh, Houston, it, it's a little bit there, but to a lesser extent. And then there's really nothing. So, I mean. Well, and let's make it, let's, let's kind of put this, because uh, some people may not be aware of what you're referring to. This could be the last time these two teams play in the bounce house, and then next year they'll play in Tampa, and that could be it. There is nothing, and really both sides have kind of been lukewarm on this. I don't think there's enough room on the non-conference schedule to add it. Plus, right. they would not be able to even play on a Black Friday because in the Big 12, you play your conference games on uh, Thanksgiving weekend. So this could we, we could be watching the end of this series, uh, and it sounds from your voice you believe that's the case. Uh, at yeah. least in and the short by the way, their their non conference schedule USF is full until twenty twenty eight. Yeah, at least so. in the short term, and and if something comes back, it's going to be on like a two or four year basis, and it's going to be in the early part of the year. You're not going to have this end of year buildup. It's going to be you know yeah, you're still going to have the a trophy game because I don't think they're going to make the trophy just disappear. It's just it won't be the all sports trophy often. will still be there. Yeah, and, and UCF and USF are still going to play in, in non-conference in other sports. I, yeah. It makes too much Which I, I I would argue, actually, there's a bit, there's a more legit rivalry in those sports than there well, is in more football. more developed. Well, yeah, and there's – well, both programs are usually good in the other sports. Yeah. Whereas football, they've never really been great at the same time, except for, like, 2017, there was the big one great game. Outside of that, this has been a dud, really, in the big picture of things. And I disagree with you, Drew. I don't think UCF fans will miss this football game at all. I, I, you look at this year, they look at Cincinnati as the bigger game than South Florida anyway. Well, so I think they're already got you. not very good. Well, and they haven't true. been for a while, and I don't think they're going to be for any time soon. Not until that administration decides to actually exactly. uh, get behind the football program, which they, they haven't in a number of years. And well, it's showing the athletic program in general. Yeah, just in general. 
yeah. Right, because in fairness, Michael Kelly just got he kind of inherited a lot of this. Uh, not, to mention the, not to mention the fact that the university doesn't have a professor or doesn't have a president right now. Yeah, he's trying. Uh, I, I got to give Michael Kelly some credit. He's trying there, but the thing is, you know, you can only like, push it, that it, that boulder uphill. Yeah, so yeah. Much he's on he's your like own. the he's like the myth of Sisyphus. He pushes the bold. You push the boulder up. You almost get it to the top of the hill, and then it just rolls back down every single time. Every single time. Uh, they are they are two and seventeen in their last nineteen games. And if you take out and, know, and they've FCS, lost their last eleven on the road. If you take out. The, the FCS wins. They have one FBS win in the last two years. And that was against Temple this year. I mean, they're, they're, we saw how, we know how bad Temple is. And yeah, what did, how did Temple describe UCF? It was USF, but better. So if, if it's USF, <laughs> but better, and that's how they were described going into the game, you know, you're expecting, you're expecting a, a pretty, oh, that's harsh. You know, it, I, I don't think he's wrong though. I, mean, I think it's a very accurate statement. I, you know, you want to be viewed as better, you know, win a game or two. Uh, well, the, the number, according to Odd Shark, is 18 and a half, and that's up from 17. Um, and that remember, inevitable. USF has no defensive coordinator. They're, they're, patch, they're patchworking it right now with a yeah. couple of assistants. Yeah. So, so, so my next question to you, Drew, is this. Um, well, it's really two questions. Do we see Dylan Gabriel? You know, if you asked me this before the weekend, um, I would say yes. Uh, but I've heard he's been sick and not practicing uh, as of yesterday. So, uh, you know, I don't know if, that, if that's going to be a material, you know, hit on him getting back. Because, you know, not it's not all about the physical aspect. It's the mental aspect, too. You got to develop the timing with the receivers and get that chemistry back, which, you know, doesn't happen overnight. Yeah. Uh, Do I want to see him back? Absolutely. Uh, I mean, that would be perfect. You know, even if he chooses to to redshirt the year, which he technically still could, you come back for that one game because here's a unique a unique opportunity for 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 Dylan. Even if he left after this year and 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 went to the pros wherever, if he played next week, he would have an opportunity to do what Mackenzie Milton couldn't do: start three times against USF and win them all. Kenzie's only two and one in starts. So there, I know the two are best friends. There's probably a little friendly rivalry at times. I mean, you know, why not? That's an opportunity that he could have that, that Milton could, could not because Milton lost the, the team lost in 2016, 2016. Yeah. The game in Tampa. Um, Let me, excuse me, sneezed. Um, (laughs) Mikey King. I want to bring this up. Um, First five games of his tenure, five touchdowns, five interceptions. The last four games, 10 touchdowns, one interception. So has he turned the corner here? Well, I don't want to say he's turned the corner, but the game's slowing down for him. And and, and that was something that I asked him when, uh, when we interviewed him after, after the game. Uh, and you can see it through the numbers. Yeah, he he's not huge on the yards per attempt. You know, he's not going right. to you know air the ball all that much. But after the the rough one against Memphis, where he threw for sixty three yards, 
Uh, he's had over 70% completion in three or four games. You know, yep. 840 yards over the last uh, total over the last four games. That's quick math, 210 yards a game. It's and 10 touchdowns and one, 10 touchdowns, and one pick, you know, what? not bad for your true freshman, 18 year old, true freshman. Not bad at all. Uh, you know, 71 percent 76 51 79 you know obviously that that UConn one is is inflated just because it was a bad defense but still did what he still did what he was supposed to do did was supposed to he's and that's where the good running game comes into play he can be a game manager he doesn't have to carry the team and when when the running game can't get going that's that's when he's stuck having to 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 do a lot more I mean he had 29 passes you know on Saturday he had 35 against SMU, which ties a career high with uh, East Carolina. In both the East Carolina and the SMU games, he had to try to carry the team because the running game just it wasn't doing what was supposed to be done. It, it yeah. just wasn't working. You know, obviously uh, against e- ECU, you know, Bowser was out. There was injuries, uh, so he had to to carry the team, especially on that final drive where he just the switch went off and he was nearly perfect. Uh, we're seeing more of that uh just you know not not quite there yet but you know if you know if i'm if i if i'm expecting dylan to move on next year and and before the season started i would have said absolutely but at this point i don't know what he's going to do because he's missed so much time i actually i'm feeling more and more confident with mikey Keene being the guy next year because we're seeing a tangible development it's not just he's just kind of floating through we're seeing the development you know looking back from prior weeks you know you got that that temple game where he he could do no wrong uh except for one throw that somehow turned into a fumble and a new possession uh and and we're seeing more and more of 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 him being smarter with the ball not throwing in as much double coverage um you know taking what the defense gives him you know what's stuff that you expect out of out of uh an FBS quarterback, and we're seeing more and more of it. You give them an off season with uh, a coaching staff that's you, you may lose an assistant or two, you know, if they get hired away, but from a coaching staff, that's going to be relatively stable, yeah. which obviously did not happen from last year to this year. You've got a whole off season, you know, the sky's the limit here. And you know, Darren Inshaw working with him. That's so what I'd yeah. like to see too. He, him and GJ Kenny. That's I love that. I'm really looking forward to that. There's reasons to be excited, but I think Eric put it very well. You have to win this game. You know, this is the rivalry game. It's the big one. Uh, Fans are going to, you know, fans didn't, weren't as interested in in Connecticut. This isn't Connecticut. This is that team that's down the road that you don't like, and you're going to be there. It's going to be Black Friday. It's going to be nationally televised. It's going to be loud. It's going to be a lot of energy. And that's what you want to, as fans, give the team, and the team feeds off it. I mean, how yes. many times has Gus Melzon raved about the energy and noise that the fans give the, the team, even on days when it's not a full stadium? Yep. Hey, College football's greatest high. fans. Oh. I say it every I say it every time we come and, out. There. And College football's you, greatest man, no doubt. UCF may not have the biggest stadium. They may not have the you know the largest fan base. You know, it's a young and growing program. But pound for pound, this this student section especially 
is some of the loudest and fiercest you'll find anywhere. That stadium gets loud. It's just as Desmond Ritter. Noise. Yeah. Right. Desmond Ritter. After he beat Notre Dame, he was asked, was that the loudest game you've ever been to? He goes, no. It was no, 2018 UCF was. <laughs> at UCF college game day. It was the loudest environment that he's ever been in. And I want to see that on Friday. Yeah. You know, that, that's the, oh, I'm with you. And that's one reason why I love college football more so than professional is you get this special energy that you don't get in professional because the student sections, there are no student sections in pro. You get them in college and they, you know, UCF was smart. They split the student section apart. There is no safe space in the bounce house. You want to be safe from the noise, stand at midfield, but you end up on either side. You've got a raucous, noisy student section that is ready to make your day very miserable. And I love it. I, I, I can't wait for this one. I really can't wait for it. Um, all right. We need to talk about the uniforms and we need to talk <laughs> about the new logo that, that, okay, that just dropped too. So I, I listen, I, I, I had no idea about this new Nighthead logo. Nobody had any idea that they were good, but UCF unveils a new Nighthead logo that They're was designed. really good at keeping things under wraps. They really They're are really good that they, 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 uh, they, they dropped the new Nighthead logo all designed in-house, by the way. I, I saw somebody had speculated on the UCF um, uh, the Twitter uh, community that, I, that I'm a part of that that it was, uh, that, that Adidas had a hand in it. They did not. It was entirely designed in-house. It's looking more at you rather than, you know, awkward it, family it picture to the side. It stares into your soul and burns yeah. a hole. I love the little, the little star on the crest. That's my favorite part, all right? Reach for the stars. Uh, That's my favorite. Now, it makes its debut on a helmet, black helmet, this Friday. And UCF, of course, going all black. I I love that. I I said this on Twitter, and I really do believe this. We've been killing it since 2016, there is no doubt. This is my favorite uniform yet. All black. It's Black Friday. I want all black. We're debuting the new Nighthead on the black hel- on a black helmet. First black helmet game, I think, this year, right, Drew? Because uh, I think yes. what they because I, I, I think what they did. I have no Is confirmation. They, they, what, they sourced from a number of different areas. Basically, they just kind of they 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 scraped and gathered. Okay, because I was wondering if they didn't just paint the helmets. I, I was they wondering that. Paint the white I was wondering, and that that wasn't the case. They were able to gather over a period of time and put put a. A, a full squad together because that was huh. the first thing i that was something i thought too is you take white shell you know take all the padding out of it everything you strip them completely bare yep. and, dip them. and that's that's a massive amount of work and then you you put everything back in yeah it, well it's so much work you can't you can't do it more than like once a year also no you can't you know, but apparently but apparently that you're saying that's not the case uh no the it was not the case they they were able to to go through a number of different channels and, and basically scrape together wow. a, a, a set, which now I don't want to say that scrape together in a bad way, but just, you know, supply. You, you got a hundred guys. You got to, yeah. I mean, you got to, you got a hundred guys that, you know, are, are trying to get, uh, cause you got to get helmets for it for this game. And, uh, it, and, and they managed to do it. They put the, they put um, the new night head on there. And I love the, how glossy as is, as is. 
you know, right. there's no, it's not like the other Nitro one where they are the other Nighthead where they, they've done the silhouette and so, or the negative. Uh, this is as is the, just the, the decal as is. Uh, it's got a shine to it. And, you know, you, you've, got a, you've got the white, you've got the gold because it's the full thing. Uh, it pops, you know, and that, that's, something, that's something that I've always uh, had, I had an issue with when they did the, the gold Nitro silhouette, uh, Nighthead silhouette. On, on a black helmet is uh, it, it didn't really pop all that much you know you, you want something that that'll stick out that'll catch your eyes it's coming by and and this does that because you have the white outline and then once that white outline you're past that you see everything in in, in, de- in all of its detail we're going to see this again for the bull aren't we i would think so i would imagine so i would yeah. think so uh especially you know ucf's trying to promote a, a new mark you know you know, even though it's a secondary mark, it's a new mark. And what better way to promote it than put it on the field, get it out there. I expect them to wear it uh, the next time around. Uh, now there's, as far as, and I think the uniform as a whole is absolutely great. I mean, uh, UCF loves wearing black, you know, it's primary color. Uh, blackout on Black Friday makes perfect sense. Uh, comparing to, to South Florida that, that does their slime series, and I gotta say, that slime, that that slime series uniform is probably the best one that I've seen them do yet. Uh, very clean uh, in comparison. But the only, if I make one knock on UCF's uniform, it's that it's the same black jersey that they always have. Uh, you know, I'm okay with that. I like that jersey. I like it, but when you're you don't want to be upstaged in your own home. And, and the how is that happening? Oh, the one thing I give credit, as I said, I give credit to, to, to USF on this is it's fully original. There's no single recycled part of that, of that uniform. Don't, don't look at yeah. me like that. Colors, the, the, the stripe. I'm basically, it's like we took our space game and put it on black Friday. That's kind of what they're doing where they're, they're well. doing. Well, that, that literally is what they're doing because their helmet stripe is the names of all of the of the members of their the inaugural USF football team, which they're celebrating their 25th anniversary for. Correct. Um, but they just ripped that idea off the space game. I mean, make I, put names well, as your stripe. I mean, I, I wouldn't say they, I'm, I'm not saying they shouldn't have honored those I guys, but say they ripped it off uh, because it you know, as, as we know from the other uh, decals that we've seen during the year. You don't get that design and printed in a, just a couple of weeks. Uh, you know, we've seen the first time UCF wore the script helmet. It was the, the gold script on a white helmet. That was not supposed to be on a white helmet. There was no way yeah. because there was no outline. It, it blended right in. So you could tell UCF played a number of games with decals that were not meant to be on white shells. They were just stuck with white shells. Uh, so I, I'm... Because of the great they, helmet shortage of 2021. Oh, but that's part of what makes the season so magical is, is, you know, we live to tell the tale and, 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 and got to see, (laughs) but if there was one thing I could have changed, it's, I would love to have seen a one-off, you know, something that just like hit the uniqueness home uh, uh, of this game. It's the last one in the bounce house, you know, yeah. UCF fans may be happy to see it go, but here's the case. It's always the best attended game every year. It's it, it's an important game in the UCF home schedule. You know, it's at the back end of the season for a reason. It gets on national TV. This is even with a bad team, uh, in, in Tampa, 
this is not coincidence. That's part of the whole rival game. So I, I think UCF missed a slight opportunity there. However, the Black Pegasus jersey is absolutely gorgeous. And the whole body of work, you know, it, it works. You know, I think, I think UCF actually not doing a helmet stripe was better with this, with, you know, to highlight the, the new logo. I, I think anything else there would just, just been a distraction. I wanted to see the sword stripe. You don't need the sword stripe. All you need is angry new nighthead that stares in your soul I and want, burns a hole. I want the sword stripe. That's what I'm saying. I would, I would just say that's that's that, that's what I'm looking for. Is 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 that all right? Kickoff 3:30 ESPN. Um, oh, another uh, good luck charm for UCF here. Uh, Drew, have never, they have never lost the game that I covered live. Never oh. lost the game that you covered live. Roy Philpot and Kelly Stoffer are the broadcast crew. And UCF has never lost the game that Roy Philpot is called. I know, I know, it's great. We need these guys here every week. Uh, let's just buy. Let, let's just buy them a condo, like in, in 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 Altamont or something. And like, you know, you guys can stay here, cover, you know, do every game. Um, that, that's that. That's what. It, I, I'm fine with that. It's 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 good for every time they come in. It's it's good for that. I, I this is this is exciting. All right, so 18 and a half. You like last last word. You like the number. I I took the I I took the spread. I I think Yusef will cover. Uh, USF wow. is, is just, is just not a good team on the road. Uh, they're, they're a little bit lost right now. You know, the defensive I, I, coordinator I, being some, gone. Something about this that makes me feel like they're going to get their best. Like we're going to get their best shot this week. I, it, there's something about, even with the new defensive coordinator, sometimes like, you know, when you fire a coach that the, the players kind of, you know, I, I don't know if this is the case with them, but the players are like, Oh, thank God that guy's gone. Now we can, it now we can actually play for UCF. Yeah. <laughs> if I worked, uh, I mean, well, it didn't at all. But you know, the opposite, actually. Uh, well, that was your head coach, not your coordinator. Well, they canned I, everyone at that point. Yeah, well, my hope is that it works the same for the Giants, who just fired Jason Garrett five minutes ago. So, oh, there's no salvaging that season. No, well, three and seven. Yeah, I guess you're right. Well, ten and seven still in play. You never know. <laughs> so weird. Seventeen games. It just doesn't sound, it doesn't feel right. I don't, I don't like it. You know, I I like nice, nice round, even numbers, you know, 32 teams, 16 games. God, come on, I'll get it together. All right. Uh, When we get back, time to talk a little volleyball because the postseason is coming around. This weekend is the final weekend of the regular season. There is no conference tournament in volleyball. UCF has clinched the American Athletic Conference Championship outright. They will go to the NCAA tournament once again, fourth consecutive NCAA tournament and American championship for Todd Dagenet's squad. And we get to talk with their best player, McKenna Melville, the GOAT herself, who's leading the NCAA in points and kills and is on her way to being not just one of the greatest volleyball players in UCF history, but has a shot to be one of the greatest statistically in NCAA history regardless of era and we get to talk to her right here on the black and gold banneret podcast stick around we'll be right back today's episode is brought to you by cars.com with over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you your budget your life your style 
And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. We are back on the Black and Gold Banneret podcast. Uh, Jeff and Eric back with you. Bryson Turner also joining us here for the second segment. And we are flipping the script over to volleyball. So this past weekend, UCF raised the trophy for the fourth consecutive year. They clinched a share of the American Athletic Conference uh, volleyball championship uh, on senior night on uh, on Friday by virtue of clobbering Temple. They, they won the second set against Temple. They swept Temple, but they won the second set 25-2. to two which the I've received word that the NCAA is checking to see if that's the most lopsided set in the 25-point rally scoring era. It may be. I'm not 100% sure. Um, the NCAA record book only shows uh, lopsided set victories from the 15-point era. But anyway, um, so they clinched the share of the title. And then uh, Sunday, Houston, who is in second place, lost to SMU, which means UCF clinches the outright title. And that means they also get the NCAA tournament bid uh, because there's no volleyball tournament this year for the American. Uh, And part and parcel of that has been, as everybody knows, McKenna Melville. Um, You know, we talked with Anne-Marie Watson a couple of weeks ago and Anne-Marie is, you know, was one of the seniors who was honored on Friday night. Um, But, you know, when you, when you're talking about UCF volleyball in this era, you know, McKenna Melville is is certainly in that first paragraph. She uh, right now is leading the NCAA in points and kills. Um, she is approaching 2,000 kills for her career. Uh, she's listed as a senior because this is her fourth year, but she's got one more year of eligibility left. Um, it, it, it stands to reason she's going to come back next year. And, uh, and assuming she does, you never know, but assu- assuming she does, she will be in the running, not just for, she will likely become not only UCF's all-time leader in kills, passing Renata Menchikova, who played in the uh, pre-rally scoring era, where you can get a lot more kills, but she could slip into the top 10 all-time in NCAA history, regardless of era, which is amazing when you think about it. Eric, you and Bryson talked to her. I mean, she's just, he just eats, sleeps, and breathes volleyball. She is a coach's dream and um, just... I, I, I don't know what you what else you could really say. She's just she's the model student athlete. Well, you could say this. She's now a four time conference champion. Her resume has been updated. As you mentioned, joining Tyra Harper, among others, as being only p- players in UCF history to say that. And it's expected within the next week that McKenna will be the first ever two time conference player of the year. No UCF players ever won player of the year more than once in any conference. McKenna, not even likely- Jordan Thompson. Uh, well, no, I'm talking about UCF history. UCF oh, UCF. History. Okay, I'm sorry. Yeah, you're right. I'm sorry. But it's funny you bring up Jordan Thompson because one of the topics I talked to Mc, uh, Bryson and I talked to McKenna earlier this week was about Jordan Thompson. And what was her going through her mind as she watched Jordan Thompson help lead Team USA to the Olympic gold this summer under Karch Karai, head coach? Listen to what she had to say about that. But we also talk about winning the fourth straight conference title and the exp- how do you compare the four championships of course, McKenna's grown into the sport of volleyball. Her mom is a legendary high school volleyball coach and a teacher, which is something McKenna also likes to do. Here now, McKenna Melville on the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. 
She now is officially a four-time American Conference champion. She's been a three-time, soon-to-be four-time All-American. She's among the nation's leaders in kills and points. Moving up the UCF record books, we speak of McKenna Melville joining us here. How you doing? That's, a, that's good. I like your updated resume. Thank you. It is a very good update to the resume. Um, over the past few days, doing a lot better. Um, so it's nice to be single-handedly conference champions again this year. So really great. Well, let, let's get into that because obviously Sunday was official Houston loss. So you're now the outright champions. You clinched the share at home on Friday. What what is this? Uh, how do you kind of compre- comprehend those last 24 to 48 hours clinching the share of the title at home? So you're able to celebrate in front of the fans and then finding out on Sunday that you've won it outright four straight years. Now you've won a conference championship. Yeah, it's really great. Um, it's a little different because you never know exactly when or how you're going to win. So I think it's kind of funny. I woke up from a nap on Sunday to we're conference champions. And I was like, Oh, nice. That's really great to see. <laughs> um, so it's kind of funny that you're not actually the one playing in it. Um, it's just kind of how the cards fold throughout the conference, but it's really nice that we did our part. Um, we worked where we needed to, we performed when we needed to, to be able to clinch it on a day that we had off. It's four conference championships. You've won them in so many different ways. Uh, you've won conference tur- championships in dramatic fashions. You won regular seasons. I mean, does one feel different than the other? Do they rank the same? How do you compare these four conference championships? Yeah, um, they're all obviously equally great because you're going um, to the NCAA tournament. I think the um, conference tournament style is a little more tense, a little more stress. You know what you're playing for, everything like that. Um, so I like that kind of style a little bit more cause that's competitive nature in me. However, being able just to play every team and knowing we have to perform at that championship level, every single game is a little bit different than, oh, we have to be in the top four in order to try and get to these games. Speaking of performing at a championship level, you guys are going to be go- um, going up against Houston with the pressure of the conference championship now off your shoulders. Are you guys looking to maybe get a little bit of revenge considering Houston's the only, is the only, the source of that one in your loss column for conference play? Oh yeah, definitely. That's my main goal. Um, I think this weekend and this week coming up is really big to start getting our heads on the right path to win the comp or to prepare for the NCAA tournament. I think it's really important now that we have the conference tournament under our belt. Let's see how far we can go. Um, so to get everyone's minds on the right page, know that there's extra stress involved, um, put stressors on younger kids as they get into these tough situations. So when it happens in a few weeks, we know what to prepare for. Tell me about the how you all handle the expectations. You're coming in as three-time defending champions. There's high expectations. You know, you're the favorites. You have a target on your back. And look, internally, you all have high expectations for yourselves. Just talk about the daily grind of that and, and winning the league again with all of that and the challenges that come with that. Yeah, um, target keeps getting bigger. Um, and I think we just keep accepting it, which is really awesome. Um, but we do hold each other every day and practice to a high standard. I know there's times where we stop what we're doing and we say, okay, we need to get our heads on straight again because what we're doing right now is not going to beat any team that we're playing in conference yet alone the NCAA. Um, so we have to get our minds straight and work towards that next goal. I think it's really important to keep working one step farther, one step more, and not be complacent with where we're at. Yes, we're at the top of it, the AAC. However, what's the next goal? What's the next step? How individually are you going to make yourself better so your teammates can trust you? 
speaking of the uh, speaking of with conference championships, you, uh, you you among a couple of your teammates are the first UCF volleyball players to be a part of four straight conference championship teams since the five the five conference championship conference tournament stretch in the nineties. You Amber Olson, Amory Watson, Arissa Moravic, and Catherine Westlich. What was it? What has it been like to play with these women? over the past four years and to, and to see that success be able to be sustained throughout these four years. Yeah. I think it's awesome because you have such a great bond, um, not only on the court, but on outside the court as well, which brings um, your trust and your level of comfort playing with these players even more. Um, I think you can always trust on these five players and um, it grows. I think your trust level grows and your confidence grows within each player as years progress. So I know like the freshmen come in, and we might not trust them as much, but as they keep playing and as they keep going, they understand how they're going to play and other people around naturally fall into what they're going to do and how they're going to react. Tell me about this team, how it's different from the previous teams, even though, I mean, from the outside, hey, I have a lot of players coming back. They're pretty similar, but there's every team's different. Uh, I'll never forget this year watching you all at Cincinnati and you dropped the first two sets and there was like no concern, no panic, at least uh, from watching at all on the court. It's like, hey, we got, we're fine. We're going to be good. And you came back one, three straight sets, which I thought was super impressive and kind of highlighted this team. Just tell me the differences you see in this team compared to the past teams. Yeah, I think we're super even killed right now. Um, super level headed. We know where we're at. We know that we have to keep pushing. Um, I think we have great leaders on the court right now being able to say, hey, we're not, we're not going to ride the high wave and we're not going to ride the low wave. We're just going to stay even um, and keep pushing. I think that's really important. Like Cincinnati, we knew that we were off in the first two sets. I remember sitting down and I was like, okay, everybody knows I'm off right now. I said it to him. I was like, everyone knows I'm off. Hold me down. Work your, work your way through it. I'll get through it, but I need your guys' help. And I think being really honest with your team um, especially the young girls being honest, like, Hey, I'm having an off day. It's okay to have an off day, but I need your other five people on the court to help me out. I think that's important. I think we're working really well together. We can look each other in the eyes and be like, Hey, you're fine because I got your back. You might not be playing great, but I'm going to help you out. So I think that's really important. You know, one other reason that this season, that this season is different from the others is that this is the second season you've been playing this county year. This is- so what has it been like to, play this seat this season directly after the spring season and yeah um it's actually pretty exhausting I think it um you don't really have that spring season to kind of recruit get your body strong again get your mind right um so I think it's really important I think we all know that our bodies are tired which is another reason that brings us closer um and keeps us pushing um obviously I think this is the first year in a while that we've had a normal type season with COVID and everything so it's kind of fun to go out there and play Um, It's fun to have a normal season back, to go on the road, to travel. All those things are fun to be around again. And I think we're taking it um, not for granted and just keep pushing forward. You know, we talked in April. You had a great year in April. You mentioned it. It was unique. It was a shortened season. So you basically played, you know, a season and a half, two seasons in a calendar year, which is unique. I mean, you're going to remember this forever. Yet you're a far, you're a better player now, which is kind of crazy. Tell me about how are you a better player today than you were in April? Is it a is it a mental thing, a technique thing, a physical thing? Take me through how you've gotten better since April. Well, every day I push myself um, on the court, off the court. I think that's really important um, to have your mind right as well as your body. So just to be able 
I know freshman year to senior year, how you're feeling yourself is really important. And I finally learned the right things to put in your body that's going to get you going. Um, and I think that's important for every kid to learn. Everyone's different. But I found something that works for me to keep my body going straight. And then I think the biggest thing is, is that we just have more um, control this year on the court. Amber's running a 5-1, which keeps me and her on the court at all times, which is really big. Um, again, that core group, that core value, I think is holding true a little bit longer. Um, and it's also, I have more pressure to do more because of that, um, those row three, four, and five, where she's in the front row with me. So we have to hold it down a little bit better. Let's talk about this group who, I mean, obviously you have the Amory Watsons and Moravic, you've played with them forever. What's it like to play with them and, and share? I mean, you've all you've all built a legacy here in a lot of ways. Uh, Bryson mentioned, you know, the 90s was the last time the UCF volleyball has won four straight conference championships. I've run into people that have told me they've gone to volleyball matches because of you and because of the team and the success and how fun you are to watch. Are you all aware of that? The legacies you're kind of making here? I know it's in the moment, so maybe you don't, but you've made an impact on and off the court. Yeah, I we don't try and look at the necessarily the numbers and the points and the kills, blocks, all that stuff, but it's how we look to the outside world I think is really important. Um, how you portray yourself and how you look to your teammates. I know we do really well and do a very good job of making sure that we are um, close as a team. I think teams get in struggle bus phase um, as they keep going throughout the season when there's more drama on the team than positive things. So we've been really good in the locker room this year keeping a good positive note on things. And then also getting out into the community, saying hi to little kids. I think UCF volleyball camp is where we get to see and meet a lot of kids and just put a smile on kids face. I think is really cool and really important in life. Um, and I know like Nurse Moravic wants to be a teacher. Amory Watson's a coach. I want to be a teacher. So to go through things like that um, and have those three or four people being able to go out to the kids, I think is really cool. You seem to really like making an impact in this Orlando community, but of course you are a Minnesota native. What has it been like to, you know, it's, this, it's such a contrast being from the far, far north coming down south. So what has it been like living in Orlando these past four years for you? Yes. So I am definitely a homebody. So to go across country is a little different for me, um, but we figured out really quick. I know I talked with my mom at length about it. Um, it's a three hour plane ride. And if there's a family in Orlando, you'll be okay. Um, and I definitely do have that family atmosphere here, which is really cool. Um, and that's the reason why I love Orlando so much. Um, people around me are really awesome. And then I'm able to go out into the community the longer I'm staying here. People know me. I can talk with them and have good conversations. And I think that's really cool um, that slowly you're building the network of the Orlando area. So you're 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 talking that now that family atmosphere obviously had obviously had to I imagine had to develop over time. So what exactly made you decide to choose UCF in the first place? Did you consult with your mom about it? And if so, what were those conversations kind of like and what ultimately made you decide to come here? Yeah, so I was a sophomore, so I was very naive and didn't know a ton about school, didn't know what I liked. I still didn't know what I liked as a junior in college, so it took me a while. Um but I looked mostly, I wanted to go to a big school. I knew that. And I wanted to be able to make an impact. So I think those are the two big things um, that I found here at UCF is big school. And I was able to make an impact. I didn't know at the time I was going to be a hitter. I thought I was going to be a libero. Um, but to be able to come in and have that family atmosphere is huge. Everyone here instantly said, Mac, you're going to be welcomed. Everything's going to be fine. 
we got your back. And I think that's super important. Um, and I know Jordan Pingle did a great job my freshman year of holding me down being like, this is, this is how we do it here. Um, so it's really cool to do that. And then have, now I'm able to do that with the younger girls, um, because Jordan is no longer here. Yeah, you talked talk about other younger girls, uh, younger girls, Chloe Shear, a sophomore, and Caitlin Grimes, a freshman, have both been playing at Libero this season. And considering how much you seem to really like the position, have you uh, been like kind of advising or helping them out with uh, with the position? And just what's it been like kind of mentoring these younger players? Yeah, I think it's really fun. Obviously, I don't want to say too much because that's coach's job, but I think it's fun to encourage them, fun to give them a little bit of hardness, um, push at them poke them and prod them until they finally crack every once in a while. But I think it's fun um, to push them mentally, push them physically, ask them the, why did you do it like that? Or, Ooh, compliment them when they finally did do something really great. And I think that's super important. The compliment aspect as a leader, um, as somebody who's trying to grow into the position, help them make them understand why they did it correctly is really cool. Um, And then just make sure that they have confidence in themselves, show that you have confidence in them and that, Everything they do is not horrible. They're young. They might be dumb sometimes, but they're damn good volleyball players. So it all works out. You're, you know, for those who may not be aware, your mom's a volleyball coach, a legend, a great, successful volleyball coach in Minnesota. So you grew up in this. And I'm wondering, you mentioned that as being part of being a leader. How much has that has helped you in you being a leader and talking to the players, knowing what the coach's perspective is? And obviously, at the same time, being a player, what I would imagine that's how they help you. Yeah, it's definitely, definitely helped. Grew up with volleyball, grew up with coaches, grew up with the whole thing. So to be able to go into a conversation, it might be different if I go talk with Amory versus if I go and talk to Amber. Amber and I are okay with tough love. We can yell and scream at each other, um, whereas some people just might need a hug. Um, and I think that's what makes a really good leader, makes a really good coach, is understanding how you're going to get your girls to play at the best of their ability. Um, and that's what I'm trying to do as a leader is how am I going to get Caitlin and Nar and anyone who's on the court to perform at the best when we need them. And I think they're doing a great job right now of performing at their best. You know, with your mom being a coach, you know, you have you have coach Dajna in your life and then you have coach mom. So what is it? So as you've gone through college, what has it been like to kind of talk to your mom like about about your game and how exactly you kind of, you know, balance it? Because obviously you have your mom and your mom's important person in your life, but you also have your coach. Yeah. So we've said from a very young age, who was my coach in high school, that when she's on the court with me, she's coach. And when she's off the court with me, she's mom. So for the past four years, she's been mom. Um, So we haven't really talked a ton about game-like situations or how this is going, how that's going. She's like, she more talks about how you did or mom stuff. Oh, good game, honey. Nice job. Um, every once in a while, we'll talk in the volleyball talk. Uh, what, Like, oh, shoot, did you see this play? Or we'll talk about rotations because she understands rotations or why did somebody line up the way they did? Or Mac, you had line open all game and you didn't swing at it once. Like, what were you doing? Stuff like that. Um, she'll give me crap for every once in a while, but she, her and I do really well of keeping things separate to make sure that the mom piece is still there, not just the coach piece. Is that easy or hard for her? I mean, because she is a coach, right? And it's easy. It's only natural, right? If she throws an opinion, I mean, it's got to be hard. To, I mean, obviously she, you know, she knows being a mom's the most important thing, but she's a coach. Like, 
I'm sure a part of her insights, like, oh, what, what do you, I want to say this, but you got to say no, don't, 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 don't want to hear yeah. it, don't want to hear it. Right? Like, how much of that goes on? Well, there's definitely times where, like, in the game, she's like, oh, I'd have done this, this, and this different. Um, <laughs> but I think she does a really good job. She always says, but I'm not the one at practice, and I think at practice is where you figure out who you want to play, where you want to play, stuff like that. Um, but it does give me another insight, a little bit more of the whys, and I love to know the whys. My coaches dread it because I'm always asking why, why are we doing this? Why, why? Um, But I think it makes you into a tougher coach. Um, I think my coaches have learned a little bit more about volleyball because of it. And I've learned a little bit more about coaching um, because of the whole atmosphere that I have. Because you recently made the old Kusaida academic team and as as tremendous as you're on the court, you you're very proud of that. Like as, as, as long as I've gotten to know you, you take your academics very seriously and I'm curious, because you're a competitive person, are you as competitive in a classroom than you are in a volleyball court? Like, are you just as mad at yourself if you don't ace an exam compared to, like, if you don't play, you know, if you just play a, not a good for a set or something like that? Kind of give me the comparison of yeah. McKenna, the, the student, versus McKenna, the volleyball player there. Yeah, definitely more of a competitive person on the court. Um, but I do hold myself to a super high standard in the classroom. Um, it's hard because you're only working with yourself it's me versus the teacher most of the time. So to be able to do well, I think is really hard. Um, but I do hold myself to a high standard. I work hard. You have to study a lot. I think in the last, I'm in finance right now. So the last semesters um, are kind of hard. I'm in my last semester of finance. Um, but I think it's really important to put school first because at the end of the day, volleyball is going to go away. And what you're left with is either an education or not an education. And I think education is super important. Um, my mom is a high school math teacher. She's ingrained it at such a young age of school comes first. It's school, sports, friends. Um, that was the order that we were allowed to do things in growing up. Um, so my brother and I would get at the kitchen table until 9, 30, 10 o'clock at night doing schoolwork for high school even. So to be able to have the academic side, I think, has always been a part of me. I don't think it's going to go anywhere. Obviously, now I want to be a teacher, so it's going absolutely nowhere. <laughs> um, but I think education is important, and I'm going to ingrain it into every kid that I talk to that education is important. Well, I didn't realize your I didn't realize your mom was a teacher as well. Yeah, I, I, it's almost like you were prepared for the life of a student athlete, which is balancing academics with you know playing a sport, which is not easy. Uh, and, and with the responsibility, but I feel like you almost grew up into it, kind of pre- getting prepared for it. Is that accurate? Yes. I mean, I've been given tough love my whole life. Um, my dad and my mom both are tough love. Got to do it right, or you didn't do it well enough. Um, and I think that's really cool. That's really important. And um, to be pushed not only athletically, but also on the personal side of life, trying to get through your struggles. Things aren't just handed to you. You have to work through it. Um, I think that's really important. You come to college and you don't know how to cook. You don't know how to do your laundry. You're going to struggle. Um, and I think the struggle is really important, but I think being prepared so you're not struggling as much is really cool. You know, I, I we're speaking with McKenna Melville here on the Black and Go Banneret podcast. I'm curious this summer, they had the Olympics volleyball. Jordan Thompson, who you know very well, legendary battles. My favorite, the best volleyball match I've ever seen in person was the 2019 Conference Championship when you beat Cincinnati in that classic five-setter at home. That building was going crazy. It's one of my favorite uh, events that I've ever been a part of there. I was, I was fortunate to be there. 
that's what came to my mind when I saw Jordan Thompson on the representing the red, white, and blue, helping them win the gold. I know she got hurt during the event, so she didn't finish it, but she had a great tournament while she was hurt. I'm sure you followed the Olympics. What went through your mind when you saw her uh, as part of Team USA? There is somebody that competed against her. Are you, are you thinking to yourself, wow, that could be me maybe down the road four, eight years from now? Or what, what goes through your mind when you see her and you see the Olympic, uh, her in the Olympics? I just think how proud I am. I know she's from Minnesota as well. She went to the same club I went to. Um, but just how proud I am of her. I think it's really cool. It doesn't matter the school she went to, but she came out as a true uh, college graduate and shined there. I think being surrounded by some of the great people and the great athletes that she's around and she did exceptional. She went one step above everyone else. And I think that's super cool to see. Um, it's really fun that we got to play against her and with her but now that she got to take that next step. So it seems to me like that coaching style that uh, Karch Karai has is working with her. The settings that the setting coaches that they have for her are really helping her out. She's getting swings that she didn't have swings against. She has so many more options. I think now at USA volleyball, I think it's, she's going to thrive for so many more years. Um, I think USA volleyball is lucky that they found her. Um, Cause I know for a time there, she was just kind of hidden um, so I'm glad she started to shine, and I'm glad she started to show who she really is. She's doing a great job. By the way, I think you could be an analyst for volleyball, too, <laughs> on the side. I mean, that was a pretty good breakdown. You played every her. position, uh, so you have you, that down. Exactly. Right. It's a great point. You played every position growing up. You weren't, you know, you, which we've talked about in the past. That's helped you kind of think the game, right? You've played the libero, a setter. And I want to ask it because defensively, I think it's underrated of your game. We focus on your kills and you know all that, but your defense is good. You have, I mean, you're one of the few handful of players that have had over a thousand digs and a thousand kills. Uh, you know, you've been assigned at times this year to the opposing team's best player to mark him. Just talk about your defense because I don't know if people really are, are, are aware what an all-around talent, great player you become on the defensive end and offensive. You're not just an offensive player. Yeah, um, I think having all different options is really cool. I love the defensive side. I think in volleyball, at least for my game, I have two two different roles. I have the offensive side where I can swing away and kill, kill, kill. And then I once I go back to serve, it's okay, now I'm the defensive side. I think it's really awesome to be able to separate it. I always rely on my defense. Um, I always rely on my serve receive because that's something that I've grown up doing. I've grown up passing. I've grown up digging, everything like that. And then to transition into the hitting game, I think is really cool because now I'm able to see the game at another level. Um, I know where that defender is going because I was a defender for so long. And then on the contrary to that, I I am a hitter, so I know what's open and I'm thinking or I'm expecting, oh, this is where they should hit. Now, do they ever hit there? Probably not. And I'm, <laughs> I'm wrong more than I'm right. Um, but it does help that I have the height because I know like our little ones, we call them our little ones, the three macro, Dresi, Caitlin, and Chloe. They get back there and they have to use every inch of their body that they have where if I misstep, I can still make it to a ball. So I think it's really cool. Um, but I, again, you try and take what you know and you try and grain it in those little ones as well. Um, but I think defense wins games and I think defense is the biggest part of volleyball. And I don't think everyone recognizes that because of the big boom at the end with a good kill or a big block. Um, they don't recognize if you don't recognize a libero, she's doing a phenomenal job. If you never notice her, she's doing everything that she should be doing. And I think that's really big. Um, a lot of people in the outside volleyball world don't understand that. 
Um, but if little Caitlin is sitting back there digging balls left and right, you're not going to notice her as much as if she's shanking a ball left and right. So that's pretty darn uh, pretty good. You, I- I'm very curious from this team's approach because I remember I spoke to Jordan when you were a freshman, and she told me about you. She's like, "Keep her in mind. Watch for her. She's going to be incredible." I'm curious of the young players on this team that haven't been through all four championships. Who are some of the players that stands out to you that you've kind of helped train and you think, hey, this is going to lead this program here down the road here in the future. Watch out for this name. Yeah, I think Caitlin Grimes, she's going to be a little stud. Um, She's got it going for her. And then I really think Heidi Bondi um, is going to shine. I think she's going to do great in this offseason to get cooking and rooking when we need her. And she's going to do really well next year on the outside for us. Um, And I hope she's ready to work hard because in spring I'm going to be her little wing woman. We're going to get after it together. So, <laughs> you know, Dajanae has said how she, you know, she, he wanted to get her some reps at the Libero position. She's been starting there for the past several games. How would you say she's been handling that, especially as a true freshman? Yeah, she's doing great. Um, I give props to both her and Chloe. Um, Chloe had the Libero spot and then switched out of it and she's handled it perfectly. I know at times, There's been some liberos in the past who, when they do get switched from it, uh, crumble completely. And I think Chloe's done a great job of still holding her ground, still doing exactly what Chloe does best. Um, And then Caitlin has just shined. Uh, She learned that she's comfortable. I remember the first game at ECU, she was all over the place. I was like, Caitlin, honey, you got to just sit down for me here. Like You're running across the court. I always joke with her that she's going to have a thousand more steps. We should put a step meter on her see how many steps she has in game because she's just going to blow us out of the water. Um, but she's really calmed down. She's a great vocal leader on the court. Um, great little energizer over there, but she's holding down well. She's doing a great job. I want to ask you, like you're being compared to like the Tyra Harpers, the Renetta Michikovas, who I, I don't remember if you were at their ring of honor ceremony or not. I know they were honored. You probably weren't. That was probably before you were here, but they're on the rafters. You see them on the ring of honor. Their names are there. You see the names there. Jenny Frank is a hall of famer, et cetera. Uh, I know you don't focus on those things, but it has to, you have to have some pride there that you're being recognized with some of the greats in the history of this program. I mean, that's you're you're in that conversation there. What how does that make you feel when and, you know that's what people are talking about you that way? Yeah, it's really cool. Um, it's definitely an honor, and it's really fun that I'm still playing and I can still keep working towards those goals. Um, and I think it's also really cool that we get to bring um, more people in. I think it's not just the McKenna Melville, but it's how many people can I tack on with me and drag me drag with. I think that's really cool. And I think that shows for the past four years for the conference tournament, it's, you know, Jordan Pingle grabbed as many girls as she could and said, let's go, we're getting on the train. Um, And I think that's really cool to have a leader. Now, hopefully we can keep pushing. We can get, keep getting more and more on the train, but as many kids as we can get on that train to keep winning is a good sign. You you and dad, you and Dajanae said before how, like, you know, plan, your plans are still up in the air for what you're going to do next. That's this. We've already addressed that. But regardless of what, of what you do, you, you, I think it's not, a, not an exaggeration to say that you've made a huge impact on this team these past four years. So how exactly would you like to be remembered by this team and by this, uh, this you know, by night, by night nation, uh, by night nation, uh, as you move yeah. in the next phase of your life, whenever that might happen? I think um, to be recognized more than just volleyball. I think it's really, you have your kills, you got your game and everything like that. But 
How did she outsmart the game? How did she care for her teammates? How did she look to the stands and see other people? And then at camps, how do you work? I think um, helping others along the way, coaching little girls to love the game is so important, especially for this game. Um, so just the love of volleyball, I think, is something to take away. Um, it's something that I love doing. I love going to practice still every day. So I think that's super important. Couple last things here. Obviously, you've had experience. You've been to the NCAA tournament before. You got two matches leading up to that. What are the keys? And, and, and really, for this team, the experience from the past. What What do you take from that that will help you this year for this team? Yeah, um, put on the gas as hard as you can, and don't ever slow down. <laughs> Uh, that is the goal. Uh, that's my goal. Coaches don't always like my goal, but that is what we're going with. Um, and I think it's really important. You can take a little breather, but other than that, push as hard as you can at all times. Practice, weights, class, games, doesn't matter. You better be pushing hard. So, have you, uh, athletes have always told me this, pro and college athletes, about being in the zone where they can do no wrong. How often do you feel like you've been in the zone? Do you have a match and moment in particular where you're like, yeah, this day I was, there was no wrong I could do. This was the zone. How, what is it like to be in the zone? Oh, yeah, it's fun. There's definitely times when you're in the zone and then you'll do some stupid error and then the zone's gone. <laughs> but there are games I would never say do no wrong. Um, but I know when we played SMU this past time at home and Wichita at home, I think everyone was kind of in the zone. There was we were going to get this done and we were going to get it done as fast as possible. Um, we did great job again, defense wins games and defense started those games off. Um, and then our offense just kind of clicked into place from there. And after that, everyone was in the zone. Everyone was pedaled to the metal at that point. Have you ever been a part of a 25 to two set? Like you were against Temple in that time. You talk about the zone. You all were in the zone. That's that, that stretch. Yeah. I think there's one game in high school. I think it was 25 to one. But other than that, I have never been a part of something like that. That's incredible. Uh, very locked in and, and, and tremendous play. And it's been a joy to, to watch your team play. We're excited to see you moving forward. Uh, congratulations on the success you've had to this point. And we wish you, we're wishing you well here moving forward. It's been you're amazing to watch. And I'm so excited for you because uh, I think you're going to have more accolades coming up. And I know you don't like talking about it, but you're gonna, you're, you, you've earned the accolades that's about to come to you. So we'll just leave it as that. Uh, McKenna Melville uh, joining us here on the Black and Gold. Thank you so much for doing this uh, and joining us. Yes, thank you so much. And thanks again to McKenna for joining us. That was a fun conversation. It sure was. So much smart. I mean, first, he brings the IQ level up a level in the show. <laughs> uh, Jeff, I want to ask you this because, you know, she's a three-time All-American uh, honorable mention. We both believe she will should be better than that. I don't know when yeah. that gets announced. You might know the schedule. Uh, there has never been a UCF volleyball player in the Division One era. There has been, and if you go back to Division Two, but there's never been a a, a volleyball player in Division One that has not been better than an honorable mention All American. Now, an honorable mention All American is still very impressive. So I don't want to make it sound like I'm not. What yeah. I'm saying is McKenna is going to break that ceiling. Should anyway. I, I I don't know how you don't. Uh, I I mean the numbers speak for themselves um, at this point, you know, I'm, I'm pulling them up right now as we speak, right? This is, and you, by the way, as we're speaking that UCF has two matches to go in the regular season, they have um, road matches against Tulane and Houston, Houston, uh, and then it's tournament time. So, uh, but looking right now, uh, 
McKenna right now, I have to correct myself. She's actually second in the country in points right now. She keeps trading back and forth with Dominique Washington of Florida A&M. Hey, two Florida players. Uh, it, she would have been right up there, except for the fact that the Temple match went so quickly. She only got 10 kills in the match. Well, and we talked about that. She said in high school, I think she was at part of a 25 to one score, but she doesn't remember anything other than that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he also it, said he wanted to spread the ball around a lot on offense as well. On offense as well, so which honestly makes it even more remarkable to me that even though yeah. he was spreading the ball around, McKenna Melville still got a double double in that game. Yeah. And, uh, and and the other funny part about that was uh, you know Anne Marie Watson. They were trying to get Anne Marie into the match to try and get her a little bit more action. And in that second set, they, UCF won 16 consecutive points in that set. They couldn't get her in in the rotation. There were literally only three rotations in the entire set because temple couldn't hit a point uh but she's but anyway she back to mckenna she's number two in the country in points fifth in points per set uh second in kills also behind dominic washington um and washington's i think has a 22 kill lead on her right now at 557 mckenna has 535 how do they do it in volleyball? Is it first team, second team, honorable mention? Is that what they do? Or do they I believe they do. I'll have to double check. I believe they do have okay. a first and second team. All well, regardless, but, she's, I mean, she's, yeah, but she's, I mean, she's be had, there. She she's got to be, be Yeah. It's got to be at that level. Yeah. Because uh, not, and here's the reason, not just because she's so good offensively, because she's so good defensively, which you know, we talked about fourth, Yeah. She's fourth all time in digs at UCF digs. She's an outside hitter. Right. And Bryson and, and I had talked to her about that. Right. Bryson. I mean, she actually likes playing defense more than offense. Well, well, remember, oh, yeah, she, she, did. she initially thought yeah. she was going to be playing libero when she, well, she, well, she was recruited as a yeah. libero. And then the, and then the story goes like in between her junior and senior year of high school, she grew like five or six inches or something like that. And uh, Jenny Maurer, who recruited her, went out there and saw her go like, what happened to you? And, and she went back to she went back to Todd. And she's like, what do we do here? And, like, you know, she was supposed to be a libero. She kind of she kind of outgrew college libero. She's because she's six feet tall. And. And Todd said, well, let's bring her in anyway you know, and see and see what happens. And lo and behold, she just starts killing everything in sight. And she's not. And, and that's the thing that I think is so great about her as a player is she's not a one trick pony. She's uh, she's the best two way player I've ever seen at, 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 in any in any way, shape, manner or form at UCF. We've seen a lot of players come and get double doubles. She's the best two-way player I've uh, I've ever seen at UCF and maybe at, at any at anywhere. Well, it's her timing. Mean, Todd even said this in his press conference. I think he told Bryson at the presser, Tyra Harper is the standard in the program history, which yeah. she's accomplished. But she was a middle blocker. Which is which which kind of makes it insane right. what she accomplished, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Kind of but it's to me middle every time. Yeah. Right. It's incredible. Right. Uh Hall of Famer. Renetta Menchikova ha- is also in the conversation. Remember, keep in mind with Menchikova's stats, she only did it in three years. She only played three years, not four. Right. Um, it's hard to compare, for example, a Jenny Frank who played a completely different position, right? Or a Jordan Pingle is probably the greatest libero. I don't know how that, it's tough to, it's kind of like in football, it's tough to compare a linebacker to a quarterback. So, and then let's also apologize in advance to Laura Smith, who is the greatest player of the division two era. It's hard to compare her to the D1 division two AIAW. Yeah. And, yeah. She, and so, Laura was a middle. Well, yeah. don't forget though, because who you know who gets underappreciated in all of this, and that's Miriam Metzkis. Because before this season, she was third all time in both kills 
and Dave. A travesty yeah. that she is not in the Hall of Fame at UCF. Travesty. A massive error there. Yeah. Uh, probably the biggest. Fix that. Yeah. They, well, that's why we keep bringing her up for that reason. Delena Sarden was a great player. Kia Bright. Let's just throw those two out too. But you're right. I think McKenna's top three at a minimum. She's in Mount Rushmore. She's in the Mount Rushmore. And that's why this is going to be exciting. The selection show Sunday night. I believe it's 830 Eastern. We're going to find out where they go. This There's actually some intrigue here, Jeff, of what the yes. committee is going to do because volleyball's been – this has been a great year for the state of Florida. <laughs> Volleyball, yeah. when you consider there's four teams in the top 25 RPI. I don't know what direction they're going to go. Does Florida host? Does Miami host? Does Florida State host? Does two of those teams host? Does none of them host? That's why this thing is kind of unpredict, a little more unpredictable than normal. I yeah, still think, is, you know, it's going to be interesting. Yeah, this is this is this is going to be. There's as much intrigue going into this as I mean, it used to be every year like the same thing, right? Like, oh, they're going to ship UCF to it, to Gainesville. And it's going to be Florida against who cares, and then. You know, whatever Florida the, Gulf Coast whoever, is 32, the by the way. Right. And then whoever the second best Florida team from a power five conferences would play UCF in the in the two three in Gainesville. Well, here's the latest RPI. This is matches through November 21st. Miami is 11th. They're at 23 and four. Florida State is 14th at 19 and seven. Florida is 15th right behind them at 20 and six. Unbelievable. UCF is 25th at 24 and six. You're, and then you're right, Florida Gulf Coast, who night volleyball fans like shudder at the mere mention of them, are they're 31st. And all, by the way, they brought back all their players who. And they could arguably be a three they, they seed won. if they don't get yeah. squished into being a four. And that's what we and don't they're know. They're 26 and five. Well, like, yeah. So we don't know. I, I don't know what's going to happen. I, I, I think that this is, there's a possibility that UCF could get could be a number two seed in one of the pods outside of the state of Florida. I, do, I really do think there's a possibility. Well, of one of those Florida teams is going to have to be out of the state. If they, that's yeah. assuming a Florida team hosts, which, you know, we, I think one will. But you're right. One of those teams in Florida is going to have to travel out of the state. Who yeah. that is, who but knows? But you've got 16 different teams are going to host, and three, three Florida teams are in the top 16 in the RPI. So – you know, what you do would you do? think, I mean, I, with committees, now, you never know. Now here's, here's what's that we talk about geography, right? Eric, you yep, like to yep. talk about that a lot. Yep. There's only UCLA is the only PAC 12 team in the top 10. So there's one West coast host. Okay. Then you got to go down to BYU at 17 and then Washington at 18. So there's three West coast potential hosts right there and then the next west coast team that you see is oregon and their rpi is 23rd utah's rpi is 20 utah is at 24 in the rpi so you know I, I this is tough man i don't i mean you have creighton who's 12th and nebraska who's 13th well and penn state is not right, even so in the which, top 16 which one so. of those two teams are you sending are, are you saying too bad you got to go on the road right Right. No, okay. that's just this one, is of a, them is gonna, one of them is going to be hosting. Oh, you can only host one of them. I agree. So this is going to be very interesting. And this is my yearly rant. I do this every semester. Get rid of the get rid of the 400 mile radius. One of the things where the committee, you know, we criticize the I committee. Think they kind of have no choice but to make an exception about it now. Well, but I'm saying if you want a true seating, right, because we're going to be upset with seatings and things like that. 
get rid of the 400 mile radius. If you otherwise, you're never going to have a true seeding on that. And look, the RPI is flawed. UCF dropped five spots for crushing Temple in South Florida. That's not a good because thing. Because Temple in South Florida are no good, right? I mean, they're, they're, but there's they're, nothing they're they can do what? about it. In the they can't yeah. cancel. It's a conference. There's nothing they can do, and that's my issue with it. You shouldn't be punished well, for playing those matches. I I agree with you, but if they played those two matches three weeks ago, UCF's RPI would have gone down anyway. And, and that's not good. Like, if they played somebody else like, just based on their strength of schedule. Right, but they have no choice. It's not like a non-conference game where, hey, you you chose to play that game. Conference, you have no choice. Like I joked years ago in softball when UCF played UConn, a snow out was actually good because it actually improved their schedule strength. So that yeah. has to be tweaked. I but do if, know if this. If you went to like a net and volleyball, the same exact thing would have happened. There's, but there's more well, things that taken into that. Hold on now. Here's a question, though, because this week, luckily, the conference championships all locked up, so they don't have to worry about that going into these last two games. But their last regular season match, I've been talking about this for weeks now, is they're going up against Houston again, the old, the source of their one loss in the conference in their conference record. So here's my question. Does their RPI increase if they go and defeat Houston on the road? No, it goes down. It goes down. No, no, the Houston bit. one. No, the Houston, Houston well, slightly. It won't. It won't well, Houston's, improve. Houston's fifty-one. Yeah. Now yeah. Houston needs that match more than the UCF does. Obviously, it kind of doesn't matter. But nonetheless, UCF wants to pay Houston back big time. I know that much. Okay. Well, and McKenna, and McKenna mentioned that. I mean, they've got that yeah. match circled. And they, Tulane's yeah. tricky, too. Look, they, this is the thing about this week. They, they don't need that. UCF doesn't need that match, but they want that match. Believe they want me. the match. Well, <laughs> and look, it's important to build momentum into the tournament. Get that balance offense. How many yep. years? We talk, Coach Todd, we could talk as much as this has been a McKenna segment. At the end of the day, this team's success in the postseason is going to come down to the balance. Do they have balance? Because you know when you get to the tournament, the opponent's going to focus on McKenna. Does that balance offense that they, they Todd wants, does it is it ready to go when the lights are on? And that's, I think, what this week is about. That's what he's kind of been building on. They have the yeah. depth. That's going to be a key factor. We'll get into more of this next week once we know the opponents. But I think that's a key factor this week is I want to see some balance offense here to show that they're ready. And I think they are with the, the, the leadership. So I think that's, that's a big factor in this po- when they get to the NCAAs. Well, we, we saw that in the Temple match. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm sorry, Bryce. I was going to say we saw that in the Temple match because, yes, you know, kind of, we kind of had no choice, first of all. <laughs> and, uh, and and McKenna was, was kind of a coach on the floor. You know, she kind of told you know, she also told Todd, like at one point in that match, like, Get, you know, get Heidi Bondi in here because she was, you know, who, who taught, you know, coach Todd is very, thinks very highly of is very highly recruited. She could be the, like the next McKenna, uh, which is what they're thinking. I don't know if you ever really can have a next McKenna, but you know, all the way around, but she's, but she's really super talented. And, you know, and that's the thing. And, and that kind of spoke to, I think what makes McKenna so great is she's a coach on the floor. You know, she's, you know, and you, we talked about history. Yeah. She is, she is like having another assistant out there. Bryson, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, you yeah, know what I was gonna say, and you kind of stole, and you kind of said what I kind of made a point. I stole your I thunder, didn't I? Is that, My bad. Is that we <laughs> did see that during the Temple Temple game, but we didn't just see Heidi Bondi. Um, we also saw several other players uh, get some playing time at playing time. Um, also, over the past couple of games, Caitlin Grimes has been getting some play at Libero. She's been doing a really great. Got ten digs, I believe, for the t- in the yeah. Temple. She's she's and- taken over the Libero position. She has been a fine man. She's been great. She yeah, oh, really she, sure. guaranteed all freshman team. I agree. Yes, I agree with that. And I am very 
very excited to see what she can do down the road because if she can be here for you be here four years then i'm very interested to see how she can sack up the jordan pingle that'll be very interesting look at this jeff you've created a monster here jeff you've created a volleyball monster (laughs) but i do want to make sure i get this out because i because i i I say it in my nightcap so go read about it for the full thing for why i did this but i i just want to be able to get to say to say props to katherine weselich because she got to, she got some playing time in the Temple match, got six kills, some of the season. She didn't really play that much this season because she's a middle blocker. And unfortunately, Narissa Moravic and Claudia Dillon are on her team. But for those that, that are like, oh, you know, Wesley, should, you know, Wesley shouldn't get playing time. She's not that good. Um, she is in the top 10 all time in career block assists. She is one away from seventh on that list. The fact mm. that... And this is something that I'm probably will be reiterate over the course of the next couple of weeks is that this team has some of, has some of the most stacked players as far as a career goes that I think we've seen since the nineties. We have McKenna Melville, who's top 10 all time in careers and digs. We have Amber Olson, who's top 10 all time in assists. We have Amory Watson and Arissa Moravec, arguably two of the best blockers this program have, have, has ever seen. And they're on the same team. And then you have yeah. the young guns in Chloe Shear and Caitlin Grimes with transfer Claudia, Claudia Dillon. This is a who's who of a volleyball roster right here. If there ever was one. Yeah, there's no doubt. And um, gosh, it's, it's amazing to see like, you know, the, the, the talent of this recruiting class that Todd put together, you know, come to fruition in the way that they have. Um, man, I, I, it, it, and now we see them, you know, all getting ready to move on. Catherine Westlich. Um, now her name popped up in the transfer portal. I mean, she's, she deserves to finish her career somewhere else. Um, you know, she, I think she has one more year of eligibility left and, and I think she's going to get her master's degree. Um, Tolly Marmon, I believe. Tolly Marmon is, awesome. yeah, Tolly, Tolly Marmon as well. Who's finishing her degree and, 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 and walked on senior day along with Catherine. Um, <clears throat> and, and she's going to finish her career as well and get her master's elsewhere, which, which as a student is like you want to do. Right. Yeah, so, um, you know, they all, they all contributed so much to the program and, um, and, you know, but even with that talent coming in, man, it's just like amazing. This team does not rebuild. It reloads now. And with the big 12 coming in, I think it's going to be a tremendous boost. I think we're going to start to see a, a real blossoming of this program once they get to the big 12, we're already seeing it in recruiting from what I've been hearing um, with the amount of interest that's that's um, that recruits are showing in UCF um, on a national level. You know, now that they're going to be in the big 12, they're going to be competing against some real volleyball powerhouses. So uh, yeah, it's the, the future as good as this team is right now, 72 of the last 76 against American athletic conference opponents. It's only going to get better. Eight thirty selection show ESPNU. Yep, ESPNU. Yeah, this is going to be fun. So uh, eight thirty on uh, what's the day again, Eric? Yeah, Sunday, ESPNU. Eight thirty. Right. So I'll be watching that, and you should be too, because who knows? I mean, there's I I don't think UCF is going to get the chance to host. Unfortunately, no, 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 no. no, no. Unfortunately, Florida yeah. is just way too is just way too crowded and in volleyball. The fact just that when gonna, Florida A&M yeah. has, a, has a player with the most kills in the country, and then right after her is McKenna. It's by, the, like, by the way, the NCAA, the if they, were, if they really were, if, they, if the NCAA wanted to think outside the box in terms of travel, Eric Lopez, they would allow UCF to host. Why? 
because of location. Yeah, that's pretty, yeah, well, state, yeah that, I mean, you're going with Florida the it's a football well, state. Yeah, I mean, that's a predetermined route. Uh, teams will never go for a predetermined site. No, I'm just saying, but I'm saying, like, if if they really want it to be, if they're all about, like, you know, hey, we want we want to keep the travel distance logical for everybody in a post-COVID world. Yeah, like year, last year they did it all in Omaha, UCF, but but you know, they, no, I'm saying, no, I'm saying UCF would host that pod. Yeah, would, I would, mean, would be one of the 16 hosts. I mean, they could do Miami. It's closer. It's, to, it's closer to no. Well, no, because Florida State can't come to Miami. Surely. Oh well, no, they're in the same conference, obviously. But Florida right. can go to Miami. But Florida Gulf. I mean, all the same UCF teams. UCF is go more. The same. UCF is more centrally located than Gainesville. Okay, but Mary, they're a. I'm just saying. Tra- I'm just saying if they power, wanted to think they, outside the box, you know, they let don't. UCF host. I'm just saying. Or we just get rid of the RPI and true seedings, and then we don't have to worry about locations. Well, I mean, they, they're going to use There the is RPI this thing called the airplane. There's this thing called the plane that has been a great invention. Uh, I would, you know, that, that people use nowadays. You're right. I'm not saying <laughs> you're wrong with that. I'm just saying that they, <laughs> they, they want to save on costs. I get the reasons why. I get it. But yeah, they're cheap. Hey, if, that, if you really want to save on, on travel costs, let UCF host this year. Well, they're not. Just saying. Not going to happen. Well, Anyway, all right, let's take a break. We come back, talk, time to talk hoops. Bryson's going to stick around with us. Men's basketball, 4-0. Aces up in Evansville. And women's basketball recovering nicely as they get ready, as they move through their uh, non-conference uh, turn. And a little bit of a tough test against the rather game Belmont Bruins squad. But then second half night showed up once again. Uh, we'll recap both of those when we return. It's the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast back after this. Welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez, Bryson Turner with you here as we uh, wrap up the show by looking at uh, UCF basketball. And, uh, well, we had a little bit of a treat last Saturday as uh, they were putting the uh, men's basketball game against Evansville up on the big board. And um, UCF got the win in what you said was a tricky game, Eric Lopez, up in, up in Evansville, Indiana against a traditionally very scrappy Evansville team. You can laugh and, you know, all the, all the way that it sounds like, it sounds like they're in a town of three people, but um, that's a good basketball program up there. Well coached and UCF just kind of did kind of what they've been doing to opponents, you know, so far this year on this, uh, on this four and O start is just, they get them down and then they just keep them down, you know, and, um, and you made the point in your three, um, in your three takeaways that Darren green just continues to make buckets six of 13, three of six from the arc, uh, 17 points to lead the Knights lead all scores actually um, to go two rebounds, uh, 15 points from Darius Perry on five of eight uh, to go with four rebounds and two assists. Um, uh, Isaiah Adams came off the bench, had a much better game, 8.6 rebounds on three of five, five turnovers though. But um UCF shot again, uh, well, close to 50, uh, just, just under 50%, 26 of 53, and held Evansville under 45%. They were 20 of 46, including just 37.5% in the first half, which is when UCF put them down. Even though Evansville made seven threes in that first half, it, it, of their nine field goals, seven of them were threes, which tells you that the interior defense is working. Um you know, meanwhile, for UCF, you know, they, they kind of had a lot more balanced scoring, six, uh, 10 threes, 26 total field goals. So, um, 
And then they, and then UCF again, but I'm re- you know what I'm really impressed with Eric is how well we've been shooting at the line 13 to 14 at the line in this game, 92%. Um, this, this, I, I like where this team is heading. This was a very, very like, you know, do go in there, do what you're supposed to do. And they did it. Yeah. They shot the ball well from three. Uh, they kind of clammed down on Evansville as the game kind of evolved. Uh, Darren green was tremendous. Darius Perry, I think they led them in the way offensively. It was, I thought that was Isaiah's best all-around game from the floor. He didn't force the issue. I feel like Isaiah's kind of forced the issue at times this year, and that's why he's just finding, trying to find his rhythm. Uh, yeah. But he led the team in rebounding. Uh, so, look, it's a solid win. It's on the road. Now you come home to host Oklahoma, which is a big brand name game. Now, Oklahoma is kind of in a rebuild. They have a new head coach in Porter Moser, who you might know led Illinois Chicago to the Final Four. A mm-hmm. couple of years ago with Sister Jean, and the fact they were in the Elite Eight last season, I believe. Or uh, so it's kind of a rebuild. They're like, you know, Tanner Groves is their top player. He's averaging about eighteen point seven boards a game. They like to push the ball up. They just played in the tournament in Conway. They lost to Utah State in the championship game. Uh, but it's a big brand game. You know, if UCF, you're trying to build the resume, you're trying to get wins, these games matter. And I thought to win at Evansville on the road was very good experience. The depth shows. Uh, they've once again won the battle off the bench, scoring-wise and then production-wise. Uh, C.J. Walker had a bit of a scare. He fell down awkwardly and landed you know, on his ankle, but he seemed to be okay. Yeah. So uh, the week comes at a good time I, for I get them. worried sometimes with something like that. It's like, you know, he doesn't really leave the game, but it's like a little thing that's going to bug him yeah. for a while, you know? Yeah. And so, but look, I mean, this team is certainly the talented uh, uh, they're really off to a good start. I'm really curious to see how they handle Oklahoma, who likes to go up court. They average, I think they're averaging about 80 points a game uh, for the season. Uh, so, you know, a team that could also likes to shoot the three as well. They've hit 46 threes already in five games. So Oklahoma is averaging nine threes a game, basically. So this will be a challenge from the, for the UCF defense. Uh, and I think we'll, you know, get a good barometer from where they're at. But certainly so far, so good. You know, Jeff, Eric, you know who I'm actually really impressed with on this team this season? I, I, I'm really impressed with Time Freeman coming off the bet, coming off energy the guy. The fact, yeah. that, the fact that he's that he's third in points coming coming off the bench, four for six, one for two, three pointers, two for two from the line. I mean, I think that I think we might see have sat found UC, uh, UCF six man. I would say. He's under the radar. He's been under the radar. Really yeah. wasn't talked about preseason, uh, but he was a, obviously you know. Dawkins has spoke highly of him. He's a great athlete, brings a ton of energy, uh, and is in, makes immediate impact. He, he plays at a, at a very fast pace. Uh, he's been very impressive and really a perfect guy to come off the bench, in my opinion, so far. He's been a good fit there. Uh, and so, look, you're right. This team has a lot of pieces with him. And, look, the Amer- it, 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 these games are big, as I mentioned. The American is strong. Cincinnati just knocked off Illinois. Fran Fraschella has been hyping up the four new members. Houston. Uh, is a top 10 team Memphis top 10 team Michael Dono our friend has proclaimed on the air that he thinks Memphis is a final four type team uh, so <laughs> the, the thing is if UCF wins enough the games they're supposed to and wins some of those marquee games like this one with Oklahoma they're going to be in position to make the NCAA that's the goal for them that they have internally uh, but this will be a good test I think this is the best offensive team they've seen so far I think Oklahoma is better than Miami in that regard so I'm going to be curious on the tempo of this game and how UCF handles that. 
Yeah. Now, by the way, to go off what you're saying, uh, Indian Hills Community College is where Ty Freeman came yeah. from. He's a redshirt sophomore, six six. This is a guard, but he's kind of like a, he's kind. If you're really a, like a wing player, yeah. I think is what you would really call him. Eight points a game, uh, it, or, or coming coming off the bench, uh, two and a half rebounds, good energy guy. I don't know if you would call him like Bryson a real true sixth man right now because I don't think UCF really has a true sixth man. I, I but I but I like it all they, based on matchups. Yeah, yeah, it's all based on matchups with this with this team. But I like the fact that he's kind of he's so big that he uh, that he presents a problem defensively. And boy, does he run the floor really well? I, I think that's the part about him that I that I um, really like. By the way, Eric, looking at um, Oklahoma right now, their toughest test this year so far. Well, they lost to Utah State just recently, a, which is a it's a very good program. That there could be a borderline yeah. NCAA tournament team this and, year. And East Carolina gave them a game too. Uh, they only that lost. That was surprising. They, I watched five. Some of that. Yeah, yeah. It, it, East Carolina uh, only lost by five. Uh, one thing that worries me a little bit is, uh, you know, just looking at the stat breakdowns like you were talking about with Oklahoma, is that is they're fifteenth in the country in field goal percentage, which tells me that they get really good looks down low. Yes. Um, Tanner Groves is, I, I think, benefited from that. But um, it, 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 this is going to be a big test, I think, for for the interior defense. And I'd love to see UCF go big again. I want to see uh, well, that's going to be and CJ right. Walker. This is going to be big games for those two. A big game for those two guys. Well, that's what you mentioned. Groves is six ten. He's the senior out of Spokane, Washington. He's one of the few that got away yeah. from Mark Few uh, and Gonzaga. I'll be how curious how UCF. My goodness. Yeah. Jeez. Six ten. So it'll be how do you let him out of the, how do you let him out of the city? My man, oh man. All right. Well, hey, you know, he can't get them all. I mean, I, I think Mark Few's doing okay for himself. So I think he's getting more than he you know. But who gets to guard him? Is it Walker? Is it Young? A Jong? Is it a combination? Probably a combo. So that's gonna be something to watch. Because you're right, Oklahoma's a low post team. Uh Groves inside, could shoot from the three. He's a really good tool player. I think he's gonna be on an NBA roster in the future. Uh you're right. Oklahoma like size, they like to rebound. They they they've averaged plus six against their opponents in rebounding. And you saw, you were there in the Jacksonville game where UCF got really beat up in the rebounding by Jacksonville and struggled. Yeah. UCF, they bounced think, back I against think it was a little. I think it was a little bit that kind of, there was a little bit of a hangover from the Miami game partially. And I think the other part was I've never seen so many bounces go a team's way in a game rebounding this before. Like if you, if you went back and looked at the tape of the Jacksonville game, UCF was in perfect position on the boards almost every play, and yet somehow the ball found its way to one of ja- to one of Jacksonville's eighteen guards that were six foot two or under, and I, I it, it's just it was just a Murphy's Law game on the boards for UCF. I don't think you can really like, you know, I, I don't think you can really put that. But I know what you're saying. It's like, you know, this is the time when you have to step up if you're a big guy. Yeah, and another name to keep in mind: Jordan Goldwire, who's a transfer out of yeah. Duke. Transfer out of Duke. He's at Oklahoma. So, again, this is kind of a roster that's evolving for Coach Moser, but they got athletes. They got talent. So, it should be a good game. Yeah. All right. Looking forward to that one. The um, tip is set for 2 p.m. Saturday. So, we got the football game Black Friday, basketball game 2 p.m. Saturday. That's going to be on – it's it's scheduled for ESPN+. Plus. I'm a little surprised it's on Plus. I'm surprised the big – This thing this, this thing called Rivalry Football Saturday, you know, that kind of hogs up all the TV slots. <laughs> Yeah, Whatever. Kind of... I don't want to. I don't want to hear about that. Uh, and then, uh, and then, of course, Wednesday at Auburn. Besides, I'd rather um, hear Michael Dono anyway. So I'm good. Fair point. It, it, we need and and it, it, the Auburn game. I think is also going to be pretty interesting. That's on uh, ESPN or excuse me, SEC Network Plus. Um, 
what do we know about Auburn coming? Because UCF, of course, got that big win against them uh, to start the season last year. I thought that was key. Improved this year. Uh, well, yes. Let's take a look right now. They're they're three and zero to start. Um, they're they do have one win against South Florida. The last time out, they won by six. They're playing UConn in the Bahamas um, in the Battle for Atlantis coming up, and then I think they're going to play two more after that. I think in the Bahamas. So. Um, yeah, it's a so, tournament. They're going to play Loyola, Chicago's so, in it, Michigan State. A, yeah. Another big team. You know, they're fourth in the country in block shots. They're 19th in scoring defense, so they're going to present a real problem for anybody they play on the defense, uh, on the offensive end, where, um, you know, they're just big and long, right, which is what Bruce Pearl likes to do. So, um, so yeah, this is a much better team than they had last year. Um, road game, this is going to be a tough one. I think again, you know, against a good defense. Oh yeah, Auburn's a great home team. They, he's Bruce has done a good job of building that atmosphere at home at Auburn. That's why they've been so successful over the years. And you mentioned the talents: KD Johnson averaging 15 points a game. They got good balance: uh, Jabari Smith, Wendell Green. Uh, they got a ton of guys that could put the ball in the in the hoop. That will be. I think Auburn's a a team that will contend with Kentucky's and the and the Tennessees for the SEC championship this year. I think they're definitely improved. The good news for UCF, you're kind of familiar with them. You beat them last year in the home opener. I know it's a different season, but you're familiar with them. Uh, you know, Auburn doesn't, you know, that they, they, they love to shoot the three again, UCF's perimeter defense. We're going to learn a lot here between Oklahoma and then Auburn, especially Auburn averages eight threes a game in the young season. And they like to chuck it up. Bruce likes to chuck it up on the three point line. Uh, they're really good defensively. We'll learn a lot about them in the Bahamas. Obviously is with the competition. They're going to play is going to go up a level. They, they actually struggled against South Florida on Friday. I watched that game. Michael Donald, speaking of which did that game. Uh, they were in a battle with South Florida on the road, but that was on the road. So, yeah, you're right. Oklahoma, Auburn, back to back. Really good stretch here for UCF. And we'll learn a lot about this basketball team within the next week. We're also going to learn about women's basketball coming up, too, because uh, they're three and one right now. Bounce back after the um, after the lost Tennessee with a big win at Virginia. Now, Virginia is not overly good, but. Boy, did UCF go up to Charlottesville and put a pounding on them uh, last Wednesday. Uh, and then they came back home and played what I thought was a really, really tough Belmont team that wasn't interested, that 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 looked like they could kind of figure out the math on UCF, especially in that first half. Um, but then UCF just plowed open in the second half. I, I mean, plowed this game open in the second half. It was really something to watch. Uh, 43 to 27 was the score in the second half. It was, it was after an 18 to 14 deficit at halftime. Uh, you score 14 points in the first two quarters and then 43 in the next two. That means you're, that means you're figuring something out pretty quickly. Uh, for UCF, uh, leading scores in that game, Diamond Battles, 5 of 13, 16.7 rebounds, three assists, uh, and uh, was 6 of 6 at the line. Alicia Lewis, though, Bryson was key. She hit uh, four threes in the game that accounted for all of her shot, all of her makes from the floor, um, three rebounds, four assists. Uh, and it was good to see Lish, um, you know, get back into the swing of things. I think she's gotten off to a little bit of a slow start this season, but this was her best game yet, wasn't it? Oh, yeah, I would completely agree, agree with that. You mentioned how they scored 43 points in the second half. I just did the math on that real quick. That's 75% of their points in the second yeah. in the second half right there. Like, the, the I mean, like, the halftime adjustments was absolutely great, a, a great job. Like, I, 
I really appreciate this team's ability to bounce back, the two bounce back like they do. And let's not forget they did lose to eight, but to, to eight to Tennessee. So certainly did they did say they certainly didn't you know lose horribly in that in that game. And, yeah. and I think this team, this game here, really shows that this team's persever- perseverance and able to make quick adjust quick adjustments and then get back out there and just absolutely slay it they sunk i mean looking at the quarter summaries 20 percent of their shots made in the first quarter 18.75 percent the second quarter then they go and do 69 percent in the third quarter and 66 percent in the third yeah. quarter meanwhile the whole and then meanwhile they were perfect from the arc and that's another thing i want to mention diamond battles lights out in the free throw department going six going six for six i don't know why anyone goes and even tries to go and get close to her and Fowler because she's just going to make going to make yeah. those free throws so well, she so, focuses yeah. the issue too i think she's so so adept at getting to the hole which i think is a much uh, uh, which is a much improved portion of her game this year in addition to the outside shooting that's 68% in the second half that ucf shot 68%. Uh, you don't see that uh, very often. They were nine of nine at the line as well, 11 of 11 for the whole game. Um, you know, and, and got some timely three point shooting as well, like we talked about with Alicia Lewis. So hit two threes in each of those two quarters. So now Eric, the attention turned. Oh, oh, go wait, ahead, Eric, Bryce. I'm sorry. Eric, like, I just wanted to men- make sure I mentioned this because I know we're talking about offense a lot, but Eric talked about this in his article about the Virginia game that UCF's defense was a, re- was a really key point and what made that game work. And while the offense got off to a shaky start in the first half, once again, we're seeing the UCF defense really kind of really helping them, helping them out here, helping them keep them in the game, you know, keep them in the game at at the end. So while I would argue that, that um, maybe their offense might be up and down at times, I think their defense has been their real consistent strength so far. Well, it's always going to have to be, it's going to, that's their, their identity. And by the way, Belmont, and I said this last week, Belmont's the better team than Virginia. Belmont's the OVC favorites. They're probably going to be in the tournament. Uh, so that's a quality win for them over mm-hmm. Virginia. And now they get out of it. They get to go out of the country. Yeah. The Cancun Challenge of the Hard Rock Hotel Riviera Maya. Uh, UCF part of an eight-team field here. Arizona State, Baylor, Fordham, Houston, Idaho State. Uh, excuse me, nine-team field. Seton Hall, Toledo, and USC along with UCF. Uh, the Knights uh, opened the, their uh, their uh, go in the tournament here uh, on uh, Friday uh, at 6.30 p.m. against Idaho State. Uh, and then they play 4 o'clock on Saturday uh, against UCF. They have live – if you go to CancunChallenge.net, they actually will have the, have the link to live video for those games through Flow Hoops. So you can watch those games. Pretty interesting field. You may have to pay. You may have to pay, unfortunately. But yes. Yeah, oh, you know what? Uh, let me see if you have to. You, you have to do that? I think you have to. I think I was discussing oh, yeah, that with somebody. Oh, yeah. The schedule got tweaked a little bit, by the way, because Iowa had to withdraw because they got some COVID issues. Uh, uh, the Iowa right. was going to be in that tournament. The big game there for UCF standpoint, USC. It's the brand name. Lindsey Gottlieb is the new head coach at USC. It's kind of unfortunate Drew's not with us because Lindsey Gottlieb was the assistant coach for the Cleveland Cavaliers the last couple of years. She's now back in college basketball. She was a longtime head coach at Cal, led them to the Final Four in 2013, and now she's back to try to restore the USC program. This used to be a, this was a powerhouse program in women's basketball. Remember, Cheryl Miller played there. one of the greats of mm-hmm. all time. They're a two-time national champion program. So that's a game that's interesting. Interesting, the USC and UCF both have a common opponent already in Virginia. They both play Virginia already, so... 
Uh, SC won by, I think they won by 17 against Virginia. But obviously UCF can't look ahead because you got Idaho State. So originally it was supposed to be USC, then Idaho State for UCF, but that's been flipped around with Iowa withdrawing. Yeah. I will say um, this. It would be very interesting to see how this team handles this because if looking at the times, this is going to be two matches in 24 hours. So that's going to – so that's going to – I think that will be a very interesting – especially the fact that they have to play a USC in the second match after, after that. So Well, I'm that's very- where this depth – the depth's got to come in. The depth has to come in and play here. Uh, you know, and Coach A was a little disappointed yeah. with the depth uh, as far as the bench production in the early part of the season, especially the Tennessee game. They've been much better in that regard as of the last two games. But that's where the depth's going to come in. You know, you've, they've talked about having everybody back and having all this depth. This is where it's got to pay off is for game, this weekend where you have two games. I, you know, and I'll be interested to see. Well, I don't know if I'll be able to see, but um, how much pressing do they do because it's a back to back? Do they press Idaho State a lot? Because they press Virginia the whole game and just yeah. dominated. And that's the thing. UCF's defense has two styles of defense. There's the style where they just play back, play the zone, you know, dare us to beat us from the perimeter then there's the we want to speed this up we're going to go full court press on you turn you over and turn into easy baskets like they did against virginia yeah i i i think that if they can uh, that's going to be one of the keys is playing those back-to-backs because it's a good tune-up when you get to conference tournament time how do you deal with you know playing you know going from one opponent who you who's going to give you a little bit of a hard time, but you should win to a quality opponent within 24 hours. And how does this unit fare in that situation? Um, it's a bummer. Eric, do you know if, they, if Iowa was originally on the schedule and then... And well, then Iowa, to- UCF will play Iowa, but that's later in the year at Iowa right. in December. They were not going to play in this tournament. USC oh, was okay, supposed gotcha. to play. USC was supposed to play Iowa. That's why the schedule... Because everyone short. else, it looks like they're playing like... Th- some teams are playing two, some teams are playing three. Right. In UCF, so- uh, UCF was scheduled to play two because, again, they're going to play Iowa at Iowa uh, later in the okay. year. And I'm getting... I mean, I haven't asked her about it, but part of that, I'm sure, is... Coach Apes from Iowa, so it's like a homecoming for her. I, I would imagine so. So instead of um, hey, let's see, like should I play Iowa here or can I just play them on the road where you're going to get better RPI uh, and later in the year? So fortunately right. for UCF, they don't lose the Iowa game like USC does. So chance for UCF to get uh, get to five and one on this young season, and uh, and uh, and of course they're spending Thanksgiving away from home, which you know, but and- doing it down in you know. Mexico and Mexico. Mexico. I mean, that in Cancun, man, can't beat that. I mean, hey, I mean, I'm spending my, I mean, I'm spending my Thanksgiving over up in uh, around the Macon, Georgia area with the family there. So, I mean, hey, there are going to be in Lake Mary. That's certainly certainly a great place to go for Thanksgiving if you're the women's basketball team there. So, I, I I I wouldn't mind going going down there with a few of my closest friends down to down to (laughs) down to the playa and have have fun down in Mexico. It's going to be great. Go for it. Enjoy it. Win the basketball games and have some fun. So I, I, it, it, it should be a blast. It's, it's great the team gets to do that. You know, some of the folks that we know, Eric, they go to the, the tournament in the Bahamas over Thanksgiving weekend. Correct. And are they doing that again? They are doing that again. Wow. They are doing that again. Are they so, missing so right. miss some of them? Are missing Black Friday football game then? Um, no, I think they're back. Oh, they make it back and forth. Oh, all right. I, I yeah. That's always crazy there. But so. All right. Let's wrap this thing up. Uh, don't forget, of course, Black Friday, 3.30 p.m. UCF against USF Memorial I-4. 
Um, should be a good one. Uh, and then, of course, by the way, our boys, our boys. Yeah, we talked about that. Our boy, I'm feeling Roy good. Phil I'm Pat feeling good. Kelly I'm feeling Stopper, good. You, you like this? You, I feel a lot Eric, better. You asked me about Eric, how nervous I, I am. That, yeah. You remember the the line opened at 17? I think it jumped to 18.5 when they realized that Kel, that that Roy and Kelly are doing the game. UCF has not lost a game that they have broadcasted on the ESPN airwaves. Just saying. I love it. Let's go. It. Take that, and they've take done, that I believe, the bank, guys. I think they've done the last two UCF USF games, 19 and 20. So. Including, I know, I'll have to double that. check this. So yeah. this is three in a row for them, huh? The hat trick. Yeah. All right. Let's do it. All right. So make sure you follow us on Twitter. It's Bryson Turner. Stat boy Drew. Andrew Gukoff, who we had earlier. Uh, and uh, also McKenna Melville's on Twitter, too, at, at McKenna Melville. So make sure you follow her. Um, and, of course, Eric Lopez, Elo, and Jeff underscore Sharon. Follow us collectively at UCF Banner at underscore SBN. If you don't already uh, remember our, our handle got scotched by Twitter for no good reason. Uh, so we're trying to rebuild that new handle um, while I try to recover the old one. Uh, and then of course, subscribe to this podcast. If you don't already on uh, iCloud uh, or iCloud on uh, Apple, as well as Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts, you can subscribe to us here uh, on uh, uh, courtesy of our, of our hosting friends at megaphone who've been really fantastic for us you know they get us out there to uh, to all of you so you can download us on whatever platform uh you choose leave us a rating if you su- if you already subscribe to us if not make sure you subscribe and tell a friend about us too uh black and is the place to go for all the latest ucf news including uh live updates on the war on i4 and of course uh, of course women's and men's basketball and of course bryce's nightcap which comes out early in the week and oh, he also got bowl I- projections I- up Actually, Go ahead, Jeff, yeah, um, actually, Jeff uh, the, this recent nightcap that I just posted will act is actually the last one for this calendar year. Nightcap will be back in 2022 to cover the spring sports, but with uh, with just football, uh, hoops, and volleyball, the only the only sports. Uh, there are enough sports to get their own individual recaps, but please go read the last nightcap of 2021. I'm very proud of how that turned of how that turned out. Yep. And uh, I'm glad that I to have uh, done it through the course of this, of this year. And I can't wait to come back with a little, with a few, with some more in 2022 with that. Yep. And we're going to have a lot more of that coming up too, is uh, we get ready for the volleyball uh, selection show on Sunday. We'll probably have some reaction from that as well. And uh, lots more to come. So, for Plus all the of us here schedule getting set for and the football. That's oh, we fun. didn't. That's right. So we'll break that down. I think next time, because I think there's some more things we have to sort out with that, but uh, uh, no FIU on the schedule. We upgraded and put, and so it put South Carolina state on the schedule. That's good to see that the school <laughs> is listening to me about dropping FIU and FIU getting a step closer to really what they should be doing, dropping football together. Thank you. Glad people are listening to my, and, and following me on Twitter and taking my advice. Good yeah, job. It's going to be good job. UCF. Hallelujah. Yeah, so, uh, so we're going to have that. We'll break down a uh, mo- little bit more of the home schedule on next week's show. By the way, um, next week, guys, I will not be around for the show. I'm having an operation. So I will be I will be on IR for next week's show. Wow. Uh, yeah, it's going to be. Uh, you it, sure you can't just call in right, you know, halftime? No, I'm going to be I'm going to be on <laughs> so much medicine. I might make it more fun. I, I could be making no, a better show. You're probably Wait, you right. haven't probably lose every job I have. <laughs> If that happens. So, uh, so, so, you know, I don't want to take that risk. So, uh, so Eric will be in charge of the show next week. It should be fun. I should, I hopefully I'll be in proper state of mind to edit it, <laughs> but, uh, but it'll be, uh, it'll be uh, a wild Thanksgiving week indeed. So for all this here at black and gold banner at 
I'm Jeff Sharon saying thank you so much for listening. Have a happy and safe Thanksgiving holiday. If you're traveling somewhere, please travel safely. Uh, and of course, uh, like I said, enjoy the holiday and we will see you Friday for UCF and USF. Maybe the final war on I-4 to be held in Orlando. We don't know. And for the series lead. Don't forget that. And for the series lead. Chance for UCF to get the series lead. You know, because if, if we lose this one, we can only tie. Right? Yep. So, got to win this one. Got to win this one. For all of us here at Black and Gold Panorama, I'm Jeff Sharon Singh. Thank you for listening. Happy Thanksgiving. Enjoy. Enjoy.